What's up, all you beautiful people? Happy Friday, everyone. Today is August 21st, and California is once again ablaze. Uh, we're lucky here in the East Bay. The smoke's a little lighter today, but the last couple of days it's been pretty thick. I know uh, many of you in other parts of the Bay are experiencing this stuff uh, to greater degrees and uh, my heart goes out to all of you um, who have been affected by these fires that seem to be perennial um, it's pretty crazy 2020 what a year uh, the smoke to try to put a lighter spin on it uh, is actually kind of a good segue into my topic today and my guest um, Today, my guest is a woman who I had the good fortune of coming across uh, while working in the legal cannabis industry last year. Her and her partner, Steve, um, who we referred to throughout the episode, but I don't know if we actually gave him context. So her and her partner, Steve, run a legal cannabis company called H2 Distro. They do a lot of the important back-end uh, types of work that keep this industry going, and they're really lovely people, and I was really stoked to get the chance to work with them, and um, my guest today, is named, her name is Abeni Ramsey, and uh, she's a powerhouse. And I am really, I was really excited to get her on and really stoked on this conversation. Um, today we are going to be talking about the legal cannabis industry, what the current landscape looks like. Uh, if you ever wanted to know, you know, kind of how the industry works um, from this perspective, we go into the equity programs in Oakland and San Francisco how they came about and were implemented, um, as well as some good critiques of the uh, shortcomings of the, of, of the programs, as well as some ideas. We kind of get into the philosophy of, of what, uh, what we could do uh, to aid it. And I just found it really fascinating to get to pick the brain of uh, someone that's right on the front lines and who has such a just incredibly holistic uh, view of it and all-encompassing view of it and um, who is also just so undeniably sweet. Um, and then, yeah, we just, we, we'd kind of dive into a little bit more philosophy and I felt like I ended this whole conversation with a big, warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. And, uh, you know, overall it was just really sweet to get to reconnect with a friend and uh, hear about what's new in her world and what's inspiring her and her work and uh, what the future holds. So I hope that uh, all of you out there take as much joy in this as I had in recording it. And uh, as always, the Bartcast mailbox at gmail.com is the email that's the bartcast mailbox at gmail.com um a little bit of housekeeping i think in the next episode 
we might be trying out some video. So we might be doing a YouTube channel for the podcast. Um, so keep an eye out. Um, but yeah, without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you one of my favorite individuals, someone that really uh, has inspired me, especially since having this conversation. Uh, please welcome Miss Abeni Ramsey on this episode 14 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. <laughs> Beanie, what's up? <laughs> Nothing much. Enjoying the day. Yeah. A little bit of downtime. It's it's so cool to, uh, it's been almost like a year. It's cool to reconnect after all It this really time. is. It was always so <laughs> much fun to see you over yeah. when you would come to the distro. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was fun. It was like, a, it was a nice little vacation from all the stresses and, uh, just different emotional things that were going on at our company to come and get to be in a place where everyone was so happy and yeah. there was always such a positive vibe there. And um, Yeah, I mean, we got to see a big cross-section of the whole industry and so getting to, uh, to come to a place where everyone was like treated well and ethically and there was just a general feeling of excitement and about work. Yeah, yeah. It was a nice break. Yeah, it was a buzzing hive and... Um... I don't know, because it's crazy at the same time that it was all those things. There were all these undercurrents mm -hmm. where, um, you know, people made a lot of assumptions about like how much money we were making as a company. Mm -hmm. And what the employees didn't know is the margins were shrinking and they were getting like the majority of the money that came through the door. Right. You know, and then I was trying to, um, we always wanted to grow. Right, because we were dealing with these companies that were growing, Henry's Originals, Old Pal, mm -hmm. and it looked like there was so much going on, and you want to feel like you can grow to the capacity to fill the the need of those that you're working with. So it was a lot of stress to be bigger and to be better and to be more, um, and it was a lot of times not even driven by internal desire. Like it wasn't even like I wanted to be a bigger co-packer because I fucking wanted to be a fucking co-packer at yeah. all. Like, no. <laughs> I seem to remember a couple days coming in and with the order for you guys and I was like, 15,000 units and 26 right. hours? Let me get two shifts lined up. And <laughs> I was always like, more of any everything, more of everything. Yeah. But it was... Um, I don't know. We kind of started in 2018, mm -hmm. Steve and I, and we opened up and I was a cultivator. Okay. I'd always been a cultivator yeah. for, I guess, about at that point, like 10 years. Okay. But my spot, um, I couldn't get it zoned. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't zoned for cultivation. Mm -hmm. So I gave it to a friend of Steve's for a minute for yeah. him to work it. He ran that shit into the ground. Okay. Um, was this all indoor that you were doing? It was all indoor. Okay. 
And because uh, it's never as easy as people think it is. So, but Steve was a broker. And so I kind of felt like, okay, I can set the business up. I can get us the licenses and then he'll just buy and sell weed and it'll be great. Yeah. And that <laughs> wasn't at all Not what it was that easy, like, yeah. right? Because all of his connections were still on the black market. Right. And to me, I never thought that you'd have to reimagine how you sell weed. But for him, he was like, I don't know how to go meet these farmers or these people. Or So we, Mara, his daughter, who I went and had, it was her birthday yesterday. She was interning for us over the summer. Okay. So I'm like, here's a list. Let's talk, just call people. Let's call people and ask them if they have flour, if they like whatever. Were these so she, cold calls? They just cold calls, okay. like from the BCC list. Wow. I think it was actually the cow cannabis list. And so she calls this one person on the list, and it happens to be um, this guy, Josh, who was one of the founders of Henry's Original. And she says to him, um, do you you know, do you know, have any cannabis to sell? And blah, he was like, I don't, but I need someone to pack some. Mm. And she turns to me, and I was like, yeah, we can <laughs> find out. So she's like, well, I can give you the number of my boss, and we can try to arrange something. <laughs> so literally, it was me, Steve, Steve's mom and his daughter Mara in the building. Mm-hmm. Nobody else worked there. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, the guy, I don't even remember how many pre rolls he said it, it was. Probably like 5,000. I don't know. But Steve, I was like, we can do this job. Steve was like, we don't have any employees. I was like, I don't give a shit. We'll get employees. Right. So we had a meeting. He looked around. We sent him our insurance. And he was like, all right, we're going to send you however many pre-rolls I got on the phone with my daughter who's 23 I'm like I need all your friends and like the next day we had a crew packing pre-rolls wow and we did that shit for like damn three years two and a half years and it was the same way that we met Opal right I think it was the opposite Corey Mm -hmm. who Ted had him cold calling distributors and he called us and the next thing I knew, Tommy stopped by. And it was so funny. Oh, that must have been... I would have loved to be a fly on the wall to see that first interaction. Because I was super <laughs> worried. I'm like, this guy's going to come. We're not going to be organized yeah. enough. Tommy walks in. He was like, doors, people, floor, sold. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, because Tommy's coming in like... For, you know, for for the listeners and stuff, like, Tommy is like a rather large Indian man with yes. a giant beard. Yes. A great accent and just kind of this like... He's kind of got like a pirate's mentality Completely. when it comes to cannabis. He even so. kind of moves like a pirate. Yeah, he's got a little swagger about <laughs> exactly. him. Exactly. Uh, I, I could just imagine, um, and you're probably smoking a, a joint as but, he's walking he's in like, the building. He's the know? least judgmental person I probably, you right. could ever want to meet. Yeah. Like I'm sitting here worried about what he's going to think about our little mom and pop. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he doesn't, he's not even thinking he about it. He's time. not even, yeah. no, he's not even thinking about judging us. Right. So, so what we do now, but that, that, that's just to stay on that for a second. Like I'm always amazed by how much of any organization, whether it's like a business or a band or a, you know, uh, you know, other institution, there is this like kind of wizard of Oz. Don't peek behind the curtain thing. And from the outside, it seems like, you know, even the most like solid looking institution seems like 
they got their shit together. But once you get past that veil, it's, all it's just people like trying to like trying to make it happen. Yeah, fake it till they make to it. Whatever and, degree. Yeah. And now with the internet and like social media, uh-huh. it is fifteen times worse. Right. Because you literally can look at somebody's website that they paid somebody or not paid somebody to design and you think that you know the entire face of that company. Mm-hmm. But it could be anything. Right. It could be some sweatshop somewhere. Mm-hmm. It could be some exploitation. It could be a room full of jerks who are just wasting some venture capitalist money. Like right. it could be anything. Totally. But then also as businesses, like we're we're not actually an equity business in Oakland. We're an equity business in San Francisco. But mm. we are a black-owned small business, right? Where it was completely self-funded by myself and my partner. Okay. And we work, we got licensing for one of our good friends who Steve and I have both known for years, and he is equity in Oakland. So together we came and we rented out this building and grew these businesses. Can you uh, just explain, because I'm sure a lot of people, when they hear the word equity, it means a lot of different things. Yeah. Can you explain what the equity programs are and how they came about? So the the equity programs, there are different equity programs in different municipalities, Mm -hmm. but at the foundation of all of them is to try to address the fallout of the war on drugs and its impact on certain communities and so there are many people who are incarcerated or have been incarcerated or arrested because they possessed sold grew transported cannabis and now that it's legal there are other individuals engaging in the same activities that will be protected by the government and reap financial rewards from that activity. So the con, the idea was all of these people have been put in jail for this substance that we are now agreeing and accepting should not have been stigmatized or penalized as such. We want to give them a way to participate in the green rush right so Mm -hmm. be able to benefit freely and openly from something that they were previously um penalized for right so in oakland the when the way they set the program up in oakland you had to have lived in a certain uh police beat that was seen as seemed to have high levels of uh marijuana arrests okay or you have and or you had to have had um, you have to have had uh, below a certain income level. You have to have been a resident of Oakland for more than seven years. And or you have to have been arrested for a drug, a, a marijuana related crime. Hmm. So there were people like myself. I was a cultivator mm-hmm. in Oakland, uh, in West Oakland, for about 10 years. Um, but because the house that we're in, my home, is no longer considered to be connected to a police beat that had a high level of marijuana arrests, even though I 
qualify for the residency, I qualify for the income, mm -hmm. without the police beat or the arrest, I can't be equity. So which is you're too clean. Right. <laughs> which, and then they were like, well, but even though my, loc my grow yeah. was in one of these police beats, if I didn't have um, a PG&E bill. Oh, you had to have a residence in there. Yeah. Well, I had to have had, I had to have proof. Yeah. that I was in that location during the seven years. Hmm. But I had an illegal grow. Why the hell would I put right. it under my name? Yeah, totally. Like, that's the last thing. You're not putting any bill under your name, mm -hmm. and you couldn't use a lease. So even though my landlord was willing to sign an affidavit that I had been leasing the location mm -hmm. for that period of time, it still doesn't qualify. So the way they set up the rules, it was kind of like... Basically, if you've been arrested for weed and you make under a certain amount of money, you could get an equity. Uh, you could qualify for equity. It doesn't sound like they took into account like the effects of gentrification at all. Then. And it doesn't sound like and they also didn't take into effect that there are people who are selling sacks on the on the corner. Mm -hmm. They got arrested that were not in the quote unquote cannabis business. Right. Like, yes, they were selling sacks on the corner. Mm -hmm. But they weren't doing it as a business. Right. I was running a business. Yeah. And that, and, and I, I also forgot that I actually did get arrested for weed. Because mm. um, I happened to get arrested for something else. Okay. And then they found this uh, old school trimmer in my, um, in my trunk. Like a machine, one of the machines. Yeah, it was one of these hand crank things. Mm -hmm. So it was like a big salad drum. Mm -hmm. And then you cranked. The top it's a cheese grater, I swear. <laughs> and at the time, one of the cops was like, "I know what that is. It's a big grinder." And I'm like, "That what for? Like five pounds a week?" Big but, but they did. They uh, they wrote on the arrest report um, that uh, that I got arrested for the possession of a smokable green substance. I think it said some bullshit like that on the arrest report. So um, now that I remember that, I might go back for the equity, yeah. but. I didn't take into, into consideration gentrification, and they didn't cons take into consideration that there are individuals that would not qualify under this MCDs, these previously uh, existing medical businesses, right? Mm -hmm. So you could get a 215 permit, right. and then you could be considered medical, and you could get grandfathered in, but only at the location where you were. So for me, I raised, like, I took care of my kids by having my cultivation yeah. and selling to patients. Mm -hmm. But none of that was taken into consideration and none of that was taken into consideration when looking at how there are low income operators who should be given some support or preference during the licensing period to truly equal the playing field. Right. So that I who had been a cultivator for 15 years and Harborside that's been a retailer for 15 years mm -hmm. are able to benefit to some, I'm able to be lifted to some degree to participate equally like for a company like that. Yeah. So you don't just wipe out the small guy. And especially being someone that is experienced and established, like you guys are a, like a magic, major, you know, window of economic opportunity for people like, absolutely you know, rather than getting so having someone start from the beginning make mistakes exploit workers whatever the growing yeah. pains are of developing the business you guys are like kind of good to go 
We've had the experience. Yeah, exactly. And it also allow, doesn't create a situation where those who have been given the equity status are just ripe to be exploited mm. because they don't, they weren't really participating as a business. Mm. They may have been participating as an individual yeah. who was using it as a means to garner income, but not really as their sole purpose and focus. Mm. Right. And so now people have this equity status that they can trade in hopes of getting money. Right. But the problem is, they are nowhere near as financially savvy as the individuals who come in to take advantage of them. Totally. So, can, Steve, can got, you explain real quick just what what are the benefits of equity status? So, it allows you to get licensing while uh, before others are able to. So, let's say you're a um, a non-equity license uh, applicant. Yeah. And there's an equity license applicant. For every one non-equity, I believe in the city of Oakland, 10 equity have to be approved. Wow. And so if you incubate me as an equity applicant, it allows you to jump to the front of the line. If you uh, collaborate with me as an equity applicant, it allows you to jump to the front of the line. Or if you form an LLC with me, as an equity applicant. So we now have one single business that lists me, equity applicant, as CEO and 50% or 40% shareholder in that company, you jump to the front of the line. Mm. But what does that say about my profit share? Right. What does that say about me having any say in the business? Mm -hmm. What does that say about you selling off my shares after a certain period of time? Like where are the controls? And that's where a lot of equity, a lot, there were equity applicants who were treated unfairly, They're in like my opinion. To tokenized participants. Completely. Yeah. And they were hoping to get money. Like, and, and sometimes, like, Steve, Steve was an equity applicant in San Francisco, so I dealt with it firsthand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where we sit down and have meetings with people, and they're like, all right, well, we'll give you... Um, 20% uh, interest or profits after the management company takes its profits and we had no voting rights, we had no seat on the board. Um, he was CEO, but it was never classified or defined what that meant. Like what are his roles and responsibilities? And then one of the contracts said, when we had an undefined role as CEO, that if it was found by the board that he was not fulfilling the requirements of his role as CEO, he could be removed from that position and lose all shares in the company. Mm. Well, if you don't tell me what I'm supposed right. to do, <laughs> then how the hell do I know when I'm not doing it? Totally. So it was just, and it's like, there's some people, and this is, you know, I think that unfortunately the idea of being an equity applica applicant has somehow been aligned with being black. Mm. That was which my is, next question. Yeah, which has that? nothing to do with what There's race no, you are. No language about ethnicity. And nothing. Okay. It's just that the assumption is made that black people get arrested more than everyone else, which in the city of Oakland may or may not be true. I don't know. But I know that my god brother, who's a white Jewish man, mm -hmm. he got arrested for marijuana. Yeah. He can get equity. And in the city of Oakland, he can get equity more than I can. <laughs> right? Like... Yeah. 
I know Asian friends of mine that have been arrested for marijuana because there were a lot of Asians in the black market in weed before. So it's not about being black. It just happens that, you know, a lot of black people get stopped and frisked. And there's a lot of cops that roll through black neighborhoods. And they see young men on the corner and they usually stop to check their pockets or find out what they're doing. But when I go up on the hill and I see those guys who are running who are driving trucks, it's preferred to have a white person drive than a black person. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of white people who are in transport. So it's, you know, so it may be that those people can get equity status in different municipalities, or it may be that they just weren't arrested. I don't know, but equity has nothing to do with race, not directly. like who is at the forefront in getting these programs established? Like how that came. came I know that in the city of Oakland, it was Desiree Brooks. She was a council person that, when this came to uh, a vote, the 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 regulations or the city regulations around cannabis, mm-hmm. she wanted to make sure that there was something in there that spoke to equity mm-hmm. and protecting small, local, minority women-owned and disadvantaged businesses in general. Um, But then to address, and I think that, I know it was Desiree Brooks here. There's a woman who leads up the the LA Office of Cannabis. It's a black woman. I can't remember her name. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that she consulted with Desiree Brooks to make sure that LA put an equity um, uh, program on, into their regulations or um, um, on the city level, it's not called regulations. It's, uh, I can't remember right now. But anyway, that it was codified into yeah. the local uh, ordinances. That's what it is. Yeah. That these programs um, existed. Uh, the state, I think, is even talking about having an equity program. Um, and then it is on the municipal level. It's city by city. So what those police beats are, um, what that median income is or that minimum, a maximum income is, is going to shift and change. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could potentially make more in San Francisco and qualify because it is essentially based on the, the, the income um, range for the city. Um, so Which is crazy. Right, San Francisco <laughs> tops out super high yeah. and probably higher than Oakland. There was, the, there was like a study a, a year ago that like, six-figure incomes were being considered below the poverty right. line in San Francisco. Yeah, which is, so when you build low-income housing, that changes that dynamic completely. Right. You know, or affordable, excuse me. It's not low-income anymore. Yeah. It's affordable housing. Yeah. Um, so you can have a $500,000 apartment that's considered affordable. <laughs> so um, I think that it is, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the program exists. I wish that it had been drafted by people who actually would have, who participated, mm-hmm. you know? Was um, it, so it was more politician-driven than activist-driven? Completely. Yeah. I mean, everything. I mean, for the city of Oakland, we have a complete shit mayor. So, <laughs> and a lot of the people who sit on the city council either represent special interest or, and I mean special interest within their community or like developer groups, mm-hmm. but there's not, we don't have like an activist city council. I think Desley, to her credit, was one of the most uh, sort of forward thinking. She's no longer a council person, but I mean, if you look at the people that they had, they had a, like a cannabis task force. 
most of them either were wealthy through retail mm -hmm. and the rest of them had nothing to do with cannabis. They were just appointed because they happened to know somebody in the city government mm -hmm. that was like, oh, we need somebody on this advisory committee. Can you step up? Some nepotistic stuff. Yeah. But I don't think that they were really reaching out for people who um, had been cultivating or um, were in one of the lower profile 215 clubs, like the collectives versus like Harborside or Bloom. Yeah. Um, that were already like full-fledged retailers. Yeah, because I, I know, you know, in my brief time in the industry, I definitely would come across, and we kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday, there was a range of equity businesses where mm -hmm. some people like yourself, very well established, had already been running a business, had mm -hmm. educated, you know, had 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 learned how to have a successful business. Mm -hmm. And then some companies you go to and you're like, oh, you either are someone that's being exploited by someone with money, like you said, for, mm -hmm. for the equity status, mm -hmm. or someone who's just uh, from the start wasn't, Maybe they got the license, but they're not really set they're up to trying to figure to it succeed. out. Yeah, no, yeah, and completely. So, you know that then opens the door for people to come in and take advantage. There's, we all have stories of you yeah. know some tech CEO person who's getting into cannabis, who's exploiting, yeah. you know, people like this. And, yeah, and a lot of times I found that people who were exploiting and people came from finance. Yeah, you know the tech guys. At least they were. I mean, they. They were always playing with somebody's money, mm -hmm. you know, so they had their own level of inexperience. Right. Um, just how to manage people, how to talk to other human beings. But um, there were a lot of guys in finance that were coming and they just saw this as um, a speculative opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that there were people who were just, they were new to business and they wanted to give it a try. And unfortunately, again, as part of the equity program, the city of Oakland was supposed to have a consultant who equity businesses could go to for advising and for services and to help you set up your website and to right. help you figure out how to do your payroll. And, and I actually, my mother has a company here in Oakland and we bid on that job through her company. And they ended up going with this other company, Make Green Go. And I took my friend Frank down to make Green Go um, so that he, as the equity applicant, could get some advising services because he hasn't, he was new to running a business. Mm -hmm. um, and they didn't have the appointments on time. They were trying to have these workshops where they barely taught people anything. Mm -hmm. They were just doing the bare minimum to be able to continue to get a check from the city of Oakland. So I just think that. There, that sometimes there's these programs set up, but there's not like a lot of oversight or even engagement between the city and the program or the city and the recipients mm -hmm. to make sure any of this shit makes sense or is actually working. Right. So you continue to have shit stacked against this group that you're supposed to be serving and they continue to be perpetually underserved. Right. And then people are looking like, oh, these people don't have their shit together. Well, neither do the tech guys. Right. <laughs> right? But they cover it well because they've got people who are willing to give them suitcases full of fucking cash. Yeah. 
so they can pay for somebody to cover for them while they're down in LA wasting time and money mm -hmm. and they pay for someone else to run their business. Right. But the, the equity business owner, or let's not even call them the equity business owner, the small or novice business owner who needs the training and assistance mm -hmm. and money has been given to the city to provide them that service, they're not getting it done. And then everybody's looking, oh, well, you know, this equity business can't survive or people who are angry that equity businesses have been giving these licenses because they shouldn't be given this advantage. Look at how they're wasting it. Tech guys shouldn't be given that money. Look at how they're wasting it. Totally. But it's not looking at like what it means when the group that is supposed to be in the government is supposed to be the one that's providing that service isn't and how it results in these businesses failing when the people are motivated to work really hard mm -hmm. there's just certain things you need to know that they don't know yeah so what would the what would the ideal system look like uh, if we could let's say they're like came to you and they're like a beanie you're doing it, you're successful at this. Like, what, how do we develop a more equitable equity system? Should be some kind of mentorship program. Yeah, okay. Where you have businesses and like, there has to be some checks and balances on that mentor. Like the mentor can get some returns mm -hmm. for the effort and time they put in to mentor this other business, but there have to be deliverables, Yeah. right? So there's some pool of money and we can, you can figure out like what it takes to really launch a business. You're gonna have to get a website. You gotta create some brand identity. You have to put some bookkeeping and accounting systems in place. You have to put some HR and payroll systems in place. Um, you need to make sure that that business is, um, is fulfilling at least the minimum requirements for OSHA and CDPH or whatever the regulatory body and their standards are. And you can quantify what that costs, mm -hmm. what it costs for the permitting, yeah. what it costs for the re rehab or the build out, what it costs for a year of QuickBooks, what it costs for the QuickBooks training. Mm -hmm. And you say to the mentor company, okay, these are the things that you need to provide and you need to help this other business make their way through. Right. You could make like, you could make the the license uh, provisional until these uh, qualifications are met so that people are incentivized to... And even if it's not about your license, because they do that through the equity... Um, the equity... Uh, gosh, what is it called? It's the thing we're doing with Frank, and we become basically an equity incubator program. Okay. So I was working with our equity incubatee, and it was like trying to get the paperwork in for the license and then trying to set up the, the, um, the, the accounting system and all these other things. But I, he doesn't have any incentive mm -hmm. necessarily to straighten up and fly right and kind of grow this business in the way that a business should be because he's just trying to cobble it together by the seat of his pants. And right. I'm covering his rent. Mm -hmm. I'm helping him with his paperwork but he's just gonna continue to do the fake it till he makes it because he's only working with what dollars he can bring in. Right. 
even with me covering his rent, he's still only working with a small amount of money. And the idea that somebody's going to come in and give him more is slim to none. Right. But let's say that there was a grant. And in order to qualify for this grant, I had to work with him to get all the accounting together. And if you got the accounting together, you get a certain stipend mm-hmm. that allows you to bump up to the next, maybe gives you a stipend that you can now afford marketing. Right. You get a little piece that you can invest in your business and another piece. Okay, the next step zone is building your marketing. I like that. So then we build the marketing out. We get you your website, your branding, your brand identity, come together with a marketing plan. Now you get another bit of the stipend because you've hit this next milestone. And so it gives me as the mentor a incentive and also it makes my job easier because it is a pain in the butt trying to wrangle somebody to do mm-hmm. something they don't understand the importance of. Right. But if you tie it to some kind of financial benefit or gain, they can see the benefit of having an investment in their business, but that investment is tied to their business actually growing and developing. I think a program like that could be really beneficial. Totally. As well as like providing transparency to, like you said, the people that may not see the big picture. Totally. You have this really clear, graduated track towards success uh, that is really almost mystical to many people when they first enter the industry where you're like, oh, okay, like even if I can't see three steps ahead, I can see one step ahead that if I get my accounting in order, I'm going to get more money. There's a huge incentive there. Right. And and while I'm aiming for that, I'm also learning what it takes to run a successful business. And it's a positive feedback loop. Yeah. Like you get your accounting in order and then not only do you get the money to take the next step, you can see, oh shit, I was losing money. Or oh shit, I'm making money. Right. Or like I should invest my time and effort into this thing because it makes me more money. So, and then when you go to the marketing piece, you see, oh shit, I made this website. Like people are hitting me and I can track what I want to sell to them based on the accounting that I did. So like you actually, not only do they get the carrot of the, the grant, but they get the positive reinforcement that, Hey, that thing I just did, it did matter. And Mm -hmm. it did have a net benefit for me as a business owner. And it keeps people continuing on this kind of track to mature their business. I, I like the idea too, and I like everything you just said, but the, the idea of fostering a more collaborative environment as far as all these businesses working together. That like as a business like your own, you can be incentivized to uh, help other members in your community who are entrepreneurial minded, who may not have like uh, the traditional advantages of, of people in different economic classes. Yeah. Like, you know, I know so many, you know, in my own experience working in tech, I would meet all these like 24 year old tech entrepreneurs who are like, Oh yeah, my uncle gave me a $10,000 no interest loan. And yeah. I'm like, well that right there is something that huge. most of us don't have access to. But if you have uh, in a, a local small business based economy where it's like, okay, my business can get access to some funds from the, from the government by, let's say I have a cousin or let's say I have a friend who I trust who's entrepreneurial and maybe my business has a need that's not being fulfilled, I can empower this person to start a business because there's a niche there that's already good to go and my business is benefiting. I can justify monetarily taking some time and energy to train this person. Or getting some city tax breaks. Like the fucking city taxes are crippling. Right. So you can give somebody a tax break 
because you're actually increasing the tax revenue mm. of the city by increasing the revenue and profitability of this other company. That's great. Like, so there could be... You don't even have to put money proactively into the put, program. No. Yeah. Just tell them, like, I'll give you a tax break, drop your tax rate from 5% or 10% like it was in the beginning to the standard tax rate of a business of 0.025, which is what it is for every other non-cannabis business for the most part in the city of Oakland. Right. So, like, I'll drop your tax rate. You, We give the financial benefit to the equity business. And we have two businesses grow and prosper in the city of Oakland. But I don't know. And when you talk about like, which is this is such a hot topic is just generally in our country of like, how do we, how do we start to think about diverting more resource? I mean, this is an old conversation mm -hmm. too, but more resources towards these underprivileged communities. Yeah. Like, you're right here is like a great example. And I can't sit here and act like, I mean, my father was a judge. My mother has owned a business in the city of Oakland for 40 years. I grew up in Berkeley in one of the richest neighborhoods, but my dad Grew up in the Jim Crow South with no shoes and was forced to work on tobacco farms when he was a kid. Right. So the reason that we were able to amass any generational wealth is because of the Korean War. Hmm. And that my father went to war and got the GI Bill and went to school. But otherwise, he would not have gone to school. He would not have gone to college. Right. And we would have been continuing a legacy of being underprivileged, undereducated, underfed, with limited access to economic opportunity that has been a reality for black people in this country since we were brought to this country forcibly as kidnapped victims. Right. And people can't begin to have a conversation about reparations. Like the 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 the, the European and American nations could never pay that bill. They have not made enough money with the money, the resources that they stole to pay back what they stole. Right. Like it's impossible. Yeah. So this idea of... How do you even quantify that number? I mean, and you could. <laughs> yeah. right? You know how many Africans were enslaved in America. Mm -hmm. You know for how long they worked. You know what was the net return from the labor that they produced, you can look at how that wealth would have grown over the years. You can look at the jobs that they were limited from. You can look at the education that they were limited from and what returns that would have gotten. You can quantify that and then turn that into dollars in this time mm -hmm. and then think about paying that back to every one of their descendants that still right. lives. Not, not to mention look at the the value and market share of these corporations that are like directly tied that grew from to that wealth, money, right? Because that's the con that's like the you know one of America's dirty little secrets is like how many yeah. businesses today could you actually on paper track down to having their roots and forget just the just the businesses, yeah. the country itself that benefited from the tax dollars, right? That benefited from the roads and the economy built and the mm -hmm. trade built. Based on that labor, yeah. they could not pay it. There is not enough gold. Oh, and let's not even talk about like the actual gold that they stole. Yeah. Or hey, wait a minute. Right. What about the actual land that they stole? Mm -hmm. And that they murdered other human beings in order to be able to put white settlers on that land. Yeah. Like the bill, like they'd be paying black folks. Mm -hmm. They'd be paying 
the, the Chinese that they intern and that they forced into labor camps in the United States. They'd be paying the Mexicans in, in Texas that they just robbed the land for. Mm -hmm. They'd be paying the Native Americans that they robbed the land, robbed the people. Like, they'd Genocide. be paying everybody. Yeah, totally. So they can't pay the bill. So why don't we just talk about leveling the playing field? Because right. they didn't have a problem with homesteading. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a problem with calling white settlers over from the East Coast and giving them land. Right. They have a problem then. So why is it a problem now? Mm -hmm. Why is creating economic opportunity for a group of people, citizens within this nation, so that you can grow the collective national wealth why is that a problem? Right. So in this one small sector, the way that it has been framed and the way it is talked about and the way that it was planned out, I don't think was really effective. And the level of importance um, that it could have in this industry is huge. But you know, what would it, what would it take for that to actually happen? And I don't mean just for like, and for me, it's not even about black, white, Asian, Hispanic. It's not about that. It's about what are you going to do for small businesses to survive? Yeah. Because the small businesses employ more people. Mm -hmm. The small businesses provide generational wealth for more people than the large corporations do. I mean, I see that, I really see that as being moving forward. I mean, I know that during this shutdown, that's been the industry that's been affected the most and has also received like per capita the least amount of resources compared to their the corporate equipment. Oh, yeah. But I see, I really see like as a, a country, the U.S. in order to remain self-sufficient and competitive, like small businesses have always been like the lifeblood yeah. Of this country and it's really where we should be aiming our resources because any one of us can be our own brand can be our own business with the internet with this tool whatever it is you're into you know whether you're you know I'm a content creator videographer podcaster I have the resources just through YouTube to teach yeah. myself all these things yeah uh, or if you're in retail or if you're you know have a, have a more brick and mortar style business we really should be empowering people to you know, whatever their education level is, whatever their income level is, to at least have, yeah, that, that equality of opportunity to, like, hey, do you want to get, are you, you know, passionate about this industry? Let's make the, let's make it a little easier for you to get started. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's nurture it. Let's, yeah. let's recognize that, that what stopped this industry before was racism. Right. And prejudice. And it wasn't just racism, it was racism and prejudice. It was prejudice against the hippies that ended up moving up into the mountains that just wanted to live free, mm -hmm. that didn't want to have to go to war, that didn't want to have to carry that baggage of being a white person in America and wanted to drop that shit off and be like, I just want to be a person. Right. Right? But because they wanted to break from that establishment, they were victimized. Or even wanting to work in an environment that is so sterile and right. cutthroat. And I mean, when you think about like, you know, I know me personally, like trying to work at like, even in like, uh, in San Francisco at these like 
supposedly open-minded tech companies, it to me the set of values that you know what actually was being valued in these offices was so alien and bizarre to me that yeah. it was like it was very uncomfortable to try to you know to be in one of those places where you've got to kind of talk a certain way and use a certain kind of yeah it's crazy you know, the, the, and you know I, I am kind of like a product of this North Bay hippie culture so like going into these institutions it was like you know it didn't feel at all like a place where I wanted to spend my time and my yeah. energy and that that was very clear working in the in the cannabis industry when I would go to different businesses and that's one of the things I really like about uh, this idea of, of having a much wider pool of backgrounds coming into the industry because mm -hmm. we have the opportunity to redefine the paradigm of business like what yeah. does it mean to be at work yeah what does it mean to set up a culture it, you know so there is just criticism for uh, this the current business culture and that it really only sets up a certain small percentage of backgrounds to be able to be successful in. Yeah, because it requires a great degree of assimilation. Right. And that is where the racial piece of it comes mm -hmm. because because the normative standard in America is white and male. Yeah. And I would say white even more than male. And so regardless of what industry you're in, like I was in the nonprofit sector. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to be providing backyard gardens and access to healthy food for disadvantaged communities. Yeah. But even though I was working in my community in West Oakland and I had intimate knowledge of people living there, I had friends that lived in that community, I was constantly being told at the nonprofit, the meetings at the nonprofit, how I should behave and how I should engage. And it was that they wanted to, me to be a little more like them right. and a little less like the people that I dealt with every day. <laughs> yeah, right. Not to mention, I don't need anybody to tell me how the fuck to be no matter what. Like, my next tattoo is, I will not be calm. Yeah. Like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be who I am. I show up who I am. I understand what it means to be a professional. I understand what it means to be compassionate. I understand what it means to be a true and valid human being. And I'm good with that. Yeah. But I'm not going to, you know, I, I people would say things like they were afraid of me. Mm. I'm 5'6". <laughs> At the time I was like 135 pounds. Right. What the hell am I going to do? Well, it's, it's the tone in your voice. I'm sorry, so you want me to sound weaker and that would make you feel better? Yeah. I'm unwilling to do that for you. And I think that, you know, because I did grow up in a um, very upwardly mobile family and in a predominantly white neighborhood, my parents were very resistant to the idea. And that's why all their children have African names. And, mm -hmm. you know, my dad would throw open the French doors of our house in the Claremont District and play Marvin Gaye and freely eat watermelon outside of his, you know, in the front yard. <laughs> like, he didn't give a shit. Right. But you always still have this undercurrent of, I have to be, I have to be aware of how my blackness shows. Hmm. Or I have to be aware of how my otherness shows. 
And I have to be aware that sometimes if my otherness shows too much, it will be to my detriment. Right, because if you were a white man and you were scary, that's just... I'm just... He's just I'm, a tough boss. Yeah, he's just <laughs> tough, but he's just confident. Right. He's just strong. Exactly. You know? Um, but somehow the people that that were around me felt physically unsafe. Hmm. And somehow me being confident and strong and assertive made them feel as if I was going to physically harm them. And I don't even know where that connection comes from because it is ridiculous. Totally. You know? Uh, but that's where, that's where stereotypes become so powerful. Hmm. And while they may not be racist, right? They don't go through this world trying to uh, believing in a very um, visceral and um, conscious way that black people are bad or mm -hmm. Latino people are bad or whatever is bad. But somewhere deep in our subconscious because of the imagery that comes to us every day, there is something lurking in our psyche that says black people are violent. Right. Black people are unpredictable, right? Um, I had someone come into my house one time and be like, oh, wow, your house is so clean. Um, you know, a lot of times you go into black people's houses and, and they're not clean. And I'm like, no fucking black people. I I know. Like, I've been in people's houses that are fucking nasty. Hey, they should come look at my house. <laughs> but it is not, you know, there's no racial tie between no. cleanliness and, no, you know. But we live in this world of these stereotypes. But, yeah. and it's not just white people who are exposed to them, no. right? White people may not know what black people think about them, but black people know what white people think about them because we see the same shit every day. Mm -hmm. We see the same images, we hear the same music, we hear the same news reports. So we're in on what we think they think. Mm -hmm. So I found myself sometimes in my business, like I told you, like always looking for what's wrong. Right. always looking for how I need to straighten up my act so people won't make those assumptions about me or I won't miss opportunities. And in that way, it can create a situation where people of color in business are trying to assimilate to a norm that they believe because of, that they believe is associated with this kind of whiteness or majority. That sounds right? so exhausting. It is completely, it's, <laughs> it, it's so fucking stressful. Yeah. And I think that. How much, how much of your uh, energetic capital are you having to invest? It's a, it'd be like if you told someone, and this is actually maybe an apt metaphor for it. It's like, you have to speak with an Australian accent. Right. If you want to, you know, uh, be taken as a legitimate business person. Yes. And so you have to spend a certain percentage of your mental energy changing the shape of your words, which is what a lot of black people have to do anyway. And it doesn't right? just happen to black people. Right. It also happens on the level of class. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go hang out with those schmucks yeah. in the tech business, <laughs> right, who have, who, who come from all this money, yeah. you got to, you have to speak a certain way and you have to understand certain references and you have to be able to say that you vacationed here and there. And while because I was raised in an upper class neighborhood, I can make that switch, but I see how stupid and whack it is, mm -hmm. 
What I miss sometimes is how stupid and whack it is that I'm running around my business trying to clean it up and make it look all pretty and shiny for this white person who's about to stop by, so I hope they give me a job. Right. So it's it's a lot. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's a lot. Well, it's, it, it's funny to me because I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I don't know, maybe the, the, the place that I grew up or the way, the culture of my own family and my own community, like I am much more comfortable in, you know, like in these not classically identified as white business yeah. uh, conditions. Like I'm like, look, all these issues that I've experienced uh, working at these in, in these traditional industries, like I think the solution is the culture from these communities that have been disadvantaged. Like I think the or the indigenous populations, like the answers lie in there. Yeah. Of what's ailing us in, you know, so many of these businesses. Yeah. And like and in how we like define these certain values um, of the way that people want to be when they're working. But then you have to confront that demon inside. Yeah. In order for that to happen, you have to could businesses and individuals, we all have to confront that demon inside that has told us lies about each other and recognize that we've been told those lies, that that stuff shows up sometimes. Yeah. And if it doesn't show up for you, it may show up for the other person. So that when we're in those environments, we can all feel safe to be our most authentic self. That you can show up as Hobart, Mm -hmm. true to who Hobart is, and that you don't feel like you have to negotiate to be yourself. That I can show up as Abemi in who I am in my positives and negatives in my frailties and my strengths and that we can come together and we can problem solve together i can say hey you know what yeah well you think we should run that ad campaign like that but when i hear that i hear something else right and maybe we should put this to a focus group because let's not just run with that because i see something here that i don't think you see and that somebody else can say hey you know what I know a way that we can solve that problem because I've seen that. And we can all bring our life experiences and make a richer environment because of it. But I think one of the reasons why I loved farming is because I didn't have to deal with people. <laughs> like, I just didn't. Right. You know, I didn't have to deal with the complexity that comes with the society in which we live. Like I, 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 it was, you don't have to solve all the social problems as part of your, I didn't have to deal with all the business. fucking baggage right. as my day to day. And I could deal with whatever specific baggage is happening with me and maybe whatever problems I find in the field mm-hmm. or with my plants, but I don't have to deal with your baggage. Right. And the fact that we aren't even having conversations about that baggage. And I think, I mean, I've dealt with that with brands. Like mm. all these fucking desperate ass brands that <laughs> thought they were gonna make all this money in mm. cannabis. And now they're trying to find cheaper and cheaper services, which usually takes them to the equity applicants mm. or the small or disadvantaged businesses. Because to keep our doors open, we have to work harder and charge less often, or at least 
And that may be just my baggage. Right, right. Right? But I don't know because I'm not even sifting through my baggage. Right. Right? I'm just surviving with it. Uh But so they'll come and they, you know, we're going to do the small business or the black business a favor and we're going to hire you because we like black people and we want to help you grow. Right. But we're going to put our fucking foot on your neck. We're going to make your life hella fucking stressful. Mm -hmm. And we're going to put the whole... the 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 entire uh, life and possibility and survival of our business on how you show up, and that doesn't work for me. That's not helping me. That's not right. helping me to grow and be a better business. Totally. Um, that's just putting more stress on my shit mm-hmm. and making it harder for me to be a better business. Right. But potentially through something like a mentor program, you could talk to a new business about. Look, okay, you're going to be worried about your shop. You're going to be worried about your website. You're going to be worried about how many followers you have. In the beginning, that shit does not matter. Mm-hmm. We're going to get your books in order, and then we'll work on marketing. And all of these things will grow with time, as it has for every other business. And you can sit down and have that conversation about that baggage that you know they have because you've been in that place. Right. And you can reassure them that that's not a place that you have to grow from. You don't have to grow from a place of feeling you're inadequate or there's something wrong with you. You can grow from a place of you're new, you have all these possibilities, all of these ideas, and you are going to go through the steps necessary to bring them into their full light, into their full possibility. Totally. And in, and in doing so, like, you know through this process, like give people those feelings of validity so that when they do sit down with someone who's, who's got these, whatever you want to call it, microaggressions, baggage, where they're talking down to them, they're not just coming at it from like me, the individual. They're like, no, no, I have a whole community that's invested in my success behind me. So now I can speak with confidence and know that like, no, I'm going to charge the price that, that I'm worth. Right. Uh, and I know what and I know that this price is because I'm working with someone else who's been in this industry and they've seen it. Right. Because that's another thing. It's like pricing is all shrouded right now. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what other, you don't know what a, you know, you know what your margins are, but you don't know like what to charge. And that goes back to that sort of accounting piece. We almost need like an Oakland cannabis guild, you know, totally <laughs> like and, and folks and and. And like no more of this this club, no right. more of this, you got to know somebody who knows somebody uh-huh. to be important. Like no more of that. Totally. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't. So this, this awakens a new question in me, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what we've seen so far from the kind of governmental, political, institutional side clearly left us wanting lacking you know yeah maybe it's well-intentioned maybe it's cynical who knows what can we do on the business and consumer side to maybe start to bring about some of these changes you know let's say someone's listening to this and they're like man that all sounds really good understand that you have the power right you have the power we have made Jeff Bezos every dime right we buy his shit Mm -hmm. We order his stuff. Uh-huh. We drive the value of his stock shares up. Mm-hmm. And that is true for every product in the market. Right. The consumer truly does have the power. 
And if we make very conscious and strong choices with that power and we get the message out and we work in groups and we organize, we can change anything. Right. Um, and on the political level, it's the same. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were having all the, the Black Lives Matter marches and I remember there were a couple marches on the mayor's house. It's like we have the power of a recall vote. Somebody is not is not doing their job. Should recall them, right? You know, um, I I live in West Oakland, and I have a problem with the fact that it's okay for a man to be sleeping outside of my house on a mattress, and a woman to have a tent full of garbage down the street from my house. But in Libby Shaft, the mayor of Oakland's neighborhood, that wouldn't abide. Mm. Why is there not equal protection under the law within the city of Oakland, which is her job to ensure Mm -hmm. through the power of the police and enforcement of regulations and um, and ordinances? That is her job. And why is it that I don't benefit like people in her neighborhood do? So. If we feel that we as the cannabis industry. We're paying taxes as business owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're paying our excise tax. We're paying our sales tax to the state. But we don't have equal protection as a business. That they are protecting the Corbell winery and giving advantages to the wine lobby in ways that they are not for the cannabis industry. That We don't have the same benefits or protections, even though we are both contributing to the economy within the state. How do, who, and who do we need to call, uh, call accountable for this? Who do we need to call the task? And knowing that we should work together collectively to create a voice if we don't have one. Mm-hmm. What what percentage of are you? Do you know like what percentage of the of these of the small businesses in the Bay Area are like these equity companies? Or, I or, do not know because I'd be curious like if you know there would be a way to organize and, businesses yeah. together. To form some sort of board or guild or and know. even if it's and this is where large and small come together mm-hmm. right even though large a little less because some of them are like paying for shelf space so maybe i'm gonna walk that one back because <laughs> i realize like they have economic power that right. makes it so the political power and they have the ear of the politicians uh-huh. like i'm sure whoever the ceo of whatever big cannabis company has the ear of Lori ajax more than i do right um so, yeah, it would be interesting to find out who they are. And and I know that there are some groups in Oakland and that I could be more politically active. But again, it goes back to that, like, when you're just trying to... They need to be more proactive. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you don't got time to, like... I don't have time to go search them out. Like, if that's their job and they want to organize, they need to ring my phone. Right. They need to tell me what action they're taking and how I can participate. They need to tell me when the meetings are. They need to make sure that they set up meetings to come and meet with us business owners and find out what we need and how they can help and what issues we need to take to the state. Like, they need to come out and see me. Right. And There's an opportunity there. Absolutely. And that's supposed to be their mission, right? So they need to fulfill that mission. Mm-hmm. So I have heard that there's a group in the city of Oakland. I was on a call after there were the, the break-ins that happened 
um, a few months ago in East Oakland. A bunch of cannabis businesses got looted. Hmm. Um, was this during protests? It was or? during the protests, but completely unrelated. It really was, was created because of a vacuum. All the police were downtown. Hmm. Um, yeah, I remember being, I was at the march to Oscar Grant Plaza. Mm-hmm. That was like, me and my friends, we like planned on getting out right at seven when they shut down. Mm-hmm. And we were leaving the downtown. We walked back. My friends, uh, they, they live, you know, in, in kind of like northwest Oakland. Mm-hmm. So as we're walking back, we just see this line of like seven cop cars, lights blazing. Yeah. And then I come to find out like the next day that they like trap people on the street. And they were arresting and throwing tear gas. And I watched the people CHP got at my door. Yeah. Right. They were, they had a wall of CHP mm-hmm. outside of my door stopping people. And instead of being in the East, mm-hmm. protecting businesses, you know, so I don't know. And there was gunfire. People lost their lives that night. Mm-hmm. Large companies and small. Nug, they ran in with a bunch of vehicles. 710 got hit. We got hit. You guys got hit. 50 people were in there. Wow. They held Steve down at gunpoint. Oh my God. It was terrible. It was terrible. This was at the spot, at your guys' yeah, spot? Yeah, at our warehouse. A friend of mine, 200 people, ran into her place, still bullet holes in her, in her walls. And I was, we were calling the police. Nobody came. No response. I got on a call the next, a couple days after, um, with um, the folks from the, the, the Office of Cannabis here in the city of Oakland, and they tried to say, oh, the police said that there was a response, that they responded, and pff, it's lies. Yeah. You know? Um, Greg Miner was on the call, and it, it just made you realize that, like, they'll come and take your tax money, but when you need the help... Yeah, where's the service? Where's the service? What, yeah. what the hell am I paying for? Right. They're not cracking down on any of these, uh, the, the competition in the clubs. They're allowing large um, brands to buy shelf space and engage in other illegal activities Mm -hmm. that skew the market. Um, They uh, are allowing all kinds of illegal trades to go on. There's no enforcement. Mm -hmm. So why am I, why am I paying all this damn tax? (laughs) Right. Which makes it so I can't compete with any of the people that they aren't. Yeah, that I, I remember. You know, the the motto of our of our company was like the Costco of cannabis or whatever. Yeah. And I was always like, man, why can't we just be like the sports basement of cannabis? Right. Like, why why do we get like right. what is this? Like, I see it as like a cultural sickness. Why everything needs to be maximized to the nth degree? Yeah. Why does it? Why do we got to be Amazon? Like, I don't want to be the age of mass consumption. I don't want to work at a company that's trying to be the biggest. I want to work right. at a company that's trying to be state like REI. And it's not even the biggest. Or, They're trying you know, to be the only. The only, right? Like, I, I'd like to see, like, you know, uh, a dispensary or, or, or business that's like, no, no, we're just going to set up to be, like, an establishment here locally. Yeah. You know, so that we can provide a workplace where, yeah. where people can succeed. And, yeah. and you know, feed, service the community in a way that feels really human and open. Yeah. And, and you can make the choice that I want to be... An economical, uh, an economical option mm. doesn't mean that you have to be 
the cheapest and the only. Right. It doesn't mean you have to corner the market, mm-hmm. but you can be like, you know, no frills. And then somebody else can decide they want to be all frills and they want to be the luxury option. But again, they don't have to be the only. It's like this idea of success is when is a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. When I had a game, when I've killed everyone else, right? When it's all or it's nothing. Mm -hmm. When I'm the last man standing, that's when I've succeeded. And it's like, what? kind of fucking kindergartner were you yeah right totally. <laughs> you know yeah all the sociopaths who've made it to the top you know? it's bananas are there any um like businesses out there that we can give a shout out to that are like these places i love henry's original okay i love josh and i love jamie mm-hmm. and you know They've had their challenges. I'm not saying there's nobody out there, but you know, everyone that's out in the world is going to have something positive to say, but I'm going to tell that, tell you that I have had the most authentic experience with that business and the people that have worked in that business. And they, they're flower, they're a flower, flower brand. They also have cultivation. I had their blackjack and it was like one of the bombest strains I've ever smoked. It was so good. I love their blue dream. Mm -hmm. Um, they're really good flower. Yeah. And they source in Mendocino, and that was the claim that they made for better or for worse mm-hmm. in the beginning. And they've had to stick to that, which sometimes means that you can't be the biggest because you right. can't go buy that cheap ass weed from Santa Barbara, yeah, or that cheap ass weed from Salinas. Uh-huh. Or you said you were going to buy from Mendocino, you can grow as fast as Mendocino can grow. Right. But Rocco, one of their sales guys, he rides up and down the state. They make good relationships with people. They're not buying off stores they're not doing dirty business they're really they're good people mm-hmm. um, I love that brand um, and you guys do just distro for them and, and we we used to do we them? used to do co-packing for them mm-hmm. um, and they grew faster than us okay and um, they were honest about it mm-hmm. um, we sat down we had conversations about it I decided I was gonna make some pivots they found other ways that we could work together um, we continue to have a really positive relationship, um, but their growth outpaced ours, and we couldn't keep up with their production. And I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was that's that's the way it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they handled it in the way that I believe the businesses should handle it. Cool. Yeah, and it's great that you can recognize that, and uh, it is a mark of your professionalism that you guys can. You know, it sounds like you have a positive relationship with them, even though you guys had to part ways in this sense. It yeah. Leaves the door open for the future. And- totally. And like when I need to source flour, I can call them. Right. Um, if they have any needs for us, we're doing a delivery service, which I'm launching soon. They'll be on our menu. Yeah. Can um, we can we talk about it? You know, I'm loving everywhere we've gone in this conversation. And it's been like uh, really exciting to, you know, to talk about this stuff, but I really do want to talk about your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can pivot. Yeah. To talking about that. Um, yeah. You- so we taught, we started a little bit, and then we went down another road. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we started with co-packing, so okay. we still do co-packing. What is co-packing? For co-packing is contract packaging. Okay. So you get a contract to package somebody's stuff, and it mm-hmm. happens in every industry. Okay. So um, you know, for Apple, the product gets made somewhere and it often gets shipped somewhere else to be assembled and then put into a box and that box gets a label and then it goes to retail or to the distributor 
So that's essentially one of the one of our main um, revenue sources. Okay, is uh, people will send us flour, or they will send us um, pre rolls or any other product, and we will put it into its final packaging, and we will submit that final packaging to testing, and then we will send it to the distributor of choice for delivery to retail. Okay. So we started with that. We also have a manufacturing license, which allows us to create products. Mm. So we make distillate. We make um, all forms of um, butane hash oil. So shatter, wax, sugar, THCA. Um, You guys do live resin? Yeah, do live resin. We do, um, uh, then we also do pre-roll manufacturing. So somebody, maybe you'll send us your flour, you'll send us your cones, we grind it, we uh, fill the cones, we pack them, we weigh them. That was always really cool to come in and see like 30 people, 40 people like filling joints. Yeah. Just that whole production line of it. I was like, man, I've never thought about joints in this way before. (laughs) Exactly. See thousands and thousands of joints. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another service we do. So somebody will order from us, um, like we have an order with this great company, Ocean Organics, and uh, they we source flour for them. Um, we then grind that flour and make flour only pre rolls, and we package them in the final tube and we send them to their distributor. Which, folks, that's very important if you're going to get pre-rolls. You want flour only. Yes. A lot of people that are just packaging, shake, yeah. trimmings. Yeah. And uh, that's why some of your pre-rolls taste terrible and don't get you high. Yeah. Quality <laughs> is super important. Yeah. You know, so we work with them. And price is always, there's always downward pressure on price. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's important to have, um, uh, to have scrupulous... Um, partners because you want to make sure that the people are sourcing the flour are giving you good flour. Right. So there are manufacturers where brands ask them to make them pre-rolls and they charge the same price, but they go get them crap weed. Right. You know, and then their stuff tests out at 14% and it's no good. So, um, so we try to be a good partner We make sure that we source, um, product that our brands would be proud to put into their packaging. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we make pre-rolls. Um, we do vape carts. Um, I always try to push people for sauce carts. Okay. Um, so that, you know. How does that can... differ just, just for people who don't know? The so distillate is essentially THC distilled from a batch of oil, of cannabis oil, full spectrum cannabis oil. And so you are leaving behind all the terps. You are leaving behind um, any of the other compounds that are in that oil, the, mm. the chlorophyll, mm. any um, phyto compounds that may have benefit to the individual that's consuming the cannabis, and it's just giving you that THC. So that, and for people who don't know terpenes, these are like, this is basically the smell and, f- and flavor. Yeah, of it's the essential oils of the cannabis okay. plant. So right? this, this oil that you distill is like flavorless and it's, scentless? It, yeah, it's a little bit bitter, a little okay. off tasting. Okay. Um, it is essentially close to colorless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just THC. 
And then people will add in back in like artificial terps? Yes, people will add in artificial terps. Sometimes they are chemically derived terps and sometimes they are botanically derived terps. When I say chemically derived terps, because all terps are chemical, yeah. I mean synthetic. Artificial flavoring. Exactly. So they're pulling together different molecules to make it taste like OG. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can also have cannabis-derived terps. But if you use sauce, which is high terpene extract, the terps are already in there. But it is in a, in a, a low-viscosity fluid that you can put into a cart and smoke. It tends to have a lower THC percentage, or T, yeah, THC percentage, so it's around 60 to 65% mm-hmm. versus distillate, which is like, you can have shit that's like 98%. Mm-hmm. Um, so it won't get you as high as quick, but it'll get you a better high. Right. And like, personally, I'd rather take more yeah. tokes and be able to control that right. spectrum than that one hit that suddenly you're on the couch all night. Right. Or <laughs> you're not even on the couch all night. Right. Like it takes you all the way up and then it takes you all the way down. Is sauce the same as live resin? So live resin is extract from fresh flour. Okay. So if I take flour and I freeze it and I then extract it, that resulting material that squeezes out the bottom is live resin. Okay. Um, and I'm sure like people have different definitions of what's butter and what's sauce, but in my understanding, what makes it live is that it comes from fresh plant. Gotcha. Now, then people also say things like full spectrum, right? So... Um, that it has in it all of the elements that were existing in that bud outside of the cellulose, outside of the actual plant material, right? So some of the chlorophyll is there, all of the terpenes are there, whatever was there in the CB, uh, CBD spectrum, mm-hmm. the CBN, CBG. So you're getting all the cannabinoids? You're getting all the cannabinoids. Okay. Um, and you can get that through, let's say, butane extraction, uh, with dry flour, but it's just dried and cured and has had some time and potentially some oxidation, mm. which may alter or modify those molecules because they do change with in an acidic environment, in an oxygen-rich environment, and with time and heat, they can change from what they were the moment that that flour was picked and expressed itself in the world and if you freeze that quickly you can then take whatever that oil was at that moment and create an extract with it and that's not saying one is better or worse it's just a different variable that might result in a different high or different flavors yeah and offers to you potentially different cannabinoids Mm -hmm. things can convert into cbn or cbg or things can convert out of thca into THC given time, heat, and uh, oxidation. That's really what's so exciting to me about the, the you know the legalization of it is just the the vast amount of potential for experimentation and getting like hyper specific about mm. you know tailoring certain highs. Ooh, this is I love this about weed, but there's this other thing like this gives me paranoia, but I love yeah. the relaxing elements like. I know I've tried some um, some products that are like really CBD rich, and I I like 
I really enjoy the effects, but I am kind of a lightweight when it comes mm-hmm. to, I don't smoke nearly as much as I used to. And it's for me personally, like I in general only enjoy being really high, like alone in my room. It's I, a, yeah. For a lot of people, it can be like an inner journey. Yeah. And that's how it is for me. Like I would start my day on my grow with what I call a hippie speedball. So it's mm-hmm. like a cup of coffee and a joint. Oh yeah. And that's it awesome. took, it would allow me it, I became so much more aware of everything that was happening in my rooms with my plants. Like mm-hmm. it really allowed me to be in a state of consciousness where I was very much connected with the space that I was in. Mm-hmm. And um, in the space, being in that space that held no anxiety for me, um, no, no issues. You know, that I felt was super safe and nurturing. I could be like that and have no problem with it. I'm not, I don't live in that world anymore. Right, yeah. Like it's the opposite, you know. And sometimes I will um, eat a little bit of edibles because I'm trying to try to uh, mellow the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going into a situation that I know is going to have a lot of anxiety producing people or issues I will like I will go ahead and prepare okay (laughs) you know and and step into it and and be able to be aware of it without being impacted by it okay like I'm still it still makes me super in touch with what's going on but instead of being fully immersed in the experience like I was when I was growing yeah it allows me to be more of an observer and be like, oh, you're just an asshole because, <laughs> you know, you're insecure. That's okay. Like, I know what that feels like. Shields I'll have up. compassion for you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you say a little bit, like, what, what is your, what's the dose? Like 10 like? milligrams. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive because for me, like, 10 milligrams is what I, that's usually what I take. Like, I've been taking on Sundays. I yeah. Like a, I don't know if you've had those Kanye gummies uh-uh, but I'm the, sure they're good the club the dispenser right you know right by my house they sell these Kanye edibles and I'll, I'll eat like a 10 milligram you know indica heavy one mm-hmm. and it's perfect like it's very light you know even yeah. two I'm 20 I'm fine yeah, yeah I did 30 once and it was like way oh, geez, too much I've done 30 and, 20 I and 30 it. I was like yeah. I thought it was in Tron. I, yeah, exactly. No, I went through a whole <laughs> paranoia. You know, I, it was, I was like, hey, let's not do that again. But, but with 10, it was good. But the funny thing is, 10 in my room, mm-hmm. that's one thing. If I step out of the safety of my room yeah. and I'm in public, yeah. oh boy, that's a whole other yeah. experience. So yeah. I'm impressed that you can go sit in a meeting because I think I would be like, starting to chew off my arm or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, it just allows stuff to just kind of like, and you know... Um, there's a, a edible company in, in San Francisco called Rose LA. They sort of started back in 215 in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but they're in San Francisco now and they make this, um, Turkish delight Ooh. gummy. Okay. I got to get you some. I have yeah. some at the, um, totally. at through the delivery. I'll give you one of each. They have, um, a citrus and then they have a hibiscus Ooh. rose. Okay. Oh, they are amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, and it's full spectrum. So they're using live rosin, and um, it's super fresh. Nice. I believe they use yeah they use fresh frozen for their extraction. Cool. Um, so you got to try those. Yeah, the edibles have been for me like 
the product with maybe the, the biggest game change like post legalization because yeah. you know I grew up you know brownie. early 2000s I was in high school when my peak stoner days when yeah. we were making brownies and you don't know what how much of the butter is going to end up in this brownie and you know you might give someone you're like oh yeah just take you know I ate a full brownie that was good they get a brownie there's twice as much in it can it. ruin it can ruin things I mean I used you. to go to parties and make batches at the party and people we would be eating them and I it was on me to like keep drunk people from eating too much brownies and I don't know how I was able to function but I was still able to be like this outgoing social guy yeah. at a party like high as fuck on yeah. edibles and now my hands start to sweat thinking about trying to do something like that you know like it's crazy oh uh, yeah I had a I ate a piece of a brownie that my friend made she was from Jamaica and she made this Ganja rum cake. Mm. I remember being on Mars. <laughs> I remember um, being in my apartment. Yeah. I lived over in West Oakland at the uh-huh. time. And I I saw what Mars looked like. Yeah. <laughs> With the red dirt and the dunes and uh, the Mini black Martians? sky. Nope, no Martians. But I had the full experience of walking on the red planet. Right. And uh, I remember calling somebody. Uh-huh. As you know, when you're really high, you got to make that lifeline call. Like yeah, you got to yeah. call somebody <laughs> so that you can let people on Earth know that you're not on Earth yeah, and here. that you want them, if you don't call back soon, to come looking for you wherever the fuck you are. You had your own Matt Damon moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I've had it twice. <laughs> okay. I made some, uh, some coconut oil one time, Ooh. and I put my kids to bed, and I decided I was going to take a piece of bread and just... You know, make some coke, put some coconut oil on it and drizzle a little honey and have a little mm-hmm. snack yeah. while watching TV when my kids were asleep. And I ate it. And when the commercial was talking to me <laughs> and the person in the commercial was looking at me, yeah. I knew, okay, this is this was a lot stronger than I expected. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of people don't know that uh, when you ingest cannabis in, you know, in the edible form and run it through your liver, it actually changes the chemical compound, the 11-hydroxy metabolite, which is like... Well, I'm, I'm one of those people who didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, it's, it, it, um, your body in digesting it changes it into a different form where it's like exponentially more psychoactive. Which is wow. why so many people eat weed. When they eat weed, they think they've been dosed by a different drug. Because they're yeah. like, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. I'm on a whole oh, nother no, ride. You are on a whole nother yeah, ride. Yeah, and I mean, we've all, you know, growing up, it's kind of a rite of passage to have at least one overdose. Yeah, and, and it can be like mushrooms. It can be terrible. I think it's more, I think in some ways, cannabis can be much more, Yeah. you know, with, with mushrooms, I can kind of turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, if I'm in like, having some difficulty on a trip there's something about mushrooms where you can turn on a dime and suddenly something snaps and you're back to the positive yeah but i feel much harder to steer that ship yeah you have to have a level of maturity because when i had that experience with the um the coconut oil Mm -hmm. i uh i had to give myself um i had to connect myself with my breath so that i did not convinced to to keep myself from believing I was dying Mm. like I was laying down and I told myself I was just going to go to sleep but in the back of my mind I knew I felt that if I 
did not connect with that breath, I would not wake up. Like mm-hmm. I was losing my connection. I was disembodying. And it was so real that I had to, my conscious mind had to connect to my body in a very visceral way for me not to believe that I was going to leave my body. That's, that's wild. And I just, I sat there and I just breathed and I listened to my breath and I felt the rise and fall of my chest until I finally went to sleep. That's awesome. I mean, then I woke up and I was still high. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> but I was a lot less high. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that, that reminds me of my, I think it was my seven, 16th or 17th birthday. And uh, my mom for my birthday, like, we did like a make your own sushi uh-huh. party at my house. And I had like, you know, probably like seven or eight of my friends. Yeah. And so right before we went over for the make your own sushi, we went down the street to my buddy Brandon's house and mm-hmm. like, we just like, it was just like smokers paradise. We had like two blunts, a joint, yeah. a bong, yeah. a hookah. You know, we had like all the things going around yes. a pipe, yes. you know, back when it was like, yeah, let's do it all, you know? Yeah. And I got way too high and I, we get to the house and I'm just, just done and I'm starting to feel nauseous. Yeah. And my mom has just worked so hard to prepare this like incredible sushi spread. Yeah. And I go upstairs and I like look in the mirror and I give myself a little pep talk <laughs> and I splash some fit water on my face and it was I had to reconnect with my breath. Yeah. And and for any of you out there that's having a a bad trip, that is a great strategy. Yeah, you know, that and water. Pound some water and really just focus on your breathing and I did it for like couple minutes and then i was like i got okay and then i went downstairs and i ate like so much sushi (laughs) and then she surprised us with it she made like a blueberry cheesecake for dessert and crushed it it was great and i'm sure she must have suspected we were all we were all just a little too you know a little too red in the eyes yeah but you know my mom was you know i had a hippie mom growing up yeah i watered the plants yeah uh, and we had a really good relationship around uh, the communication side of it. So yeah. I actually ended up waiting longer than just about everybody in yeah. my grade before I first smoked. Cause yeah. she was, she was very honest about it and yeah. I would see her doing it, but it was never like, this is a bad thing, but yeah. it was more like, I just wanted you to give your brain more time to develop. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it can be tricky as a parent to know, you know, certainly our relationship was a process of like, redefining that boundary and yeah you know sometimes we shared together sometimes that wasn't allowed yeah. and yeah um but yeah so and so you guys are about to start or you've already started doing this delivery so yeah so we so we're redefining ourselves and we've been doing all these services for other companies mm-hmm. and now we are launching our own brand logic labs mm. Um, and we're launching a delivery service. So we will, and the name of the delivery service is Alley Oop. Alley Oop, I love that. That's and the, the idea behind it is just really like just folks in the industry helping each other out. And like us, I mean, I, I become like the voice of the site, right? Mm-hmm. So it's more than just a scrolling website, it is a lifestyle site. Cool. And so it's things like, you know, shit, the shit I eat, 
before I go into a fucking meeting mm-hmm. to cut the anxiety, right, right. you know, and just talking about those experiences. And so that's one side of it. And the other side is voices from the community. So it's a place where you can hear from brands. You can hear the experience of brands. You can hear the experiences of individuals um, that may be like you, may not be like you. Um, and then also you can go through sort of a series of prompts that helps you to understand how you're feeling now and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And then helping you to find the products that are most likely to to get you where you're looking for. Yes, we need this. This is like such a need. And it's, you know, it's from a, it's from the perspective of mostly women of color. That's awesome. So, um, and then it's working with small brands. I'm not going to tell you which fucking select cart you should buy. Mm-hmm. That's not something that's going to happen. But I will tell you about what small producer is creating really great product in your area and try to take you sort of on a city by city curated tour in California of where where can you find these small brands because that variety is not showing up on ease right and it's not showing up in your retail store right you know and there are some like we as logic labs have been supported by the great and amazing folks at Tahoe Wellness up in South Lake Tahoe and they are one of the retailers that have reached out to us as a small brand and supported us and um, bought our products and you know they won't buy crap mm-hmm. but we don't produce crap so it works out that's awesome um so that's the brand side which is where our business is moving to and then the delivery um we have one central building out one central platform mm-hmm. Uh, where folks can come regardless of where you are in the state of California. We have licenses in Oakland and in Los Angeles. And um, we are using the scheduled delivery model. Cool. So that we can reach far and wide. It'll give us a larger range than just where our our hub city is. Um, And then we're doing on-demand in a limited area. Okay. So... um, yeah, we are hoping to launch uh, the the small version of the site that has not all the content and all the branding um, in the next week. Cool. And um, I, I, I can't reveal the website address yet because we're still choosing between two. Okay. Um, but it'll be, uh, I'll let you know as soon as we decide. Are, are you going to be... In the next week, you think? You'll, you'll yeah, in the that. next week, we'll be so up. Let me know, because then I'll put that in the show notes for this, because I'm not going to release this till next week. Okay, cool, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it'll be the first version that we're coming out with is more of a traditional site, because mm-hmm. we're really working on getting all the content together for the lifestyle site. Um, and uh, I'm going to crack open the piggy bank and pay for actually branding and marketing. Cool. Because... Um, that's always that's been something that throughout this journey I have not prioritized and I've come to understand that like that's the world we live in now oh man it's so important yeah at least personally like in when I choose the products yeah um, it's funny we me and my brother this this uh, we, we just got back from this family camping trip and when we were sh- shopping for supplies for a Trader Joe's and we wanted to buy some hard kombucha yeah I can't really handle beer anymore, but I, I do like the like alcoholic five percent kombucha. Yeah. So we bought these ones. They were called Kyla. Yeah. And we tried the other. There's only two varieties at Trader Joe's, and the other ones 
we weren't very fond of. So we bought these ones even though they looked like like a Las Vegas energy drink. You know, that just was terrible branding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we drank them and they were delicious and they were great. And I was yeah. like, man, this can, the outside did not communicate to me that this is what it was going to taste yeah, like. Yeah, You know, I tend to prefer more like earth tone, yeah, yeah, natural yeah. looking. Yeah. If it's something I'm putting in my body, I want it to like look yeah. kind of more organic and, yeah. you know, earth tony. So, but I know, especially in cannabis too, I mean, some of these ones are like, to me, look like, you know, some of these companies, they look like sketchy, Yeah. you know, kind of something you'd see at like a gas station. Yeah, they know. don't. So I've got another group of guys, um, um, Ian and Brandon, who are amazing and um, have been inspirational partners and mentors to some degree for me. They own a brand called Colexo. Okay. It is a cannabis infused beverage company. They make a 22 ounce mm. that's only 10 milligrams. That's cool. So it is perfect for a party, yeah. sharing, mm-hmm. a dinner where you're not getting blasted. And, you know, one of the things about consumables um, and edibles is that you're afraid to eat very much. Like, as delicious as it may be, oh, that's the you can't really enjoy it. Classic conundrum. When right? You, you forgot to buy munchies and your, your only munchies are more of them. Rice more than fucking <laughs> so Colexo has completely solved that problem by giving you a nice beefy 22 ounce beverage that's yeah. super delicious, super shareable, and it's only 10 milligrams. Oh, over that 22. That's over that great. 22 yeah. ounces. So you can share it with friends, you can have them at barbecues, you can have it at a dinner party, at a beach bonfire, yeah. and you're not going to get blasted. Right. And I love it. I love giving people alternatives from just getting drunk. Yeah. You know, it's nice to be able to, we all want to change our, alter our perspective, you know, change yeah. our headspace and yeah. sort of giving people more options in social settings to play around yeah. with that. Yeah. So there are some, and that's why, that's why I want to do this site mm-hmm. because I want people to know like you have choice out there. Yeah. You have choice in how you consume, what you consume, how you want to feel, how you want to engage with the substance. Um, so how does that how is that going to be executed as far as um, like you said this uh, this the sharing of that information like how are you guys going to do that on the website? So some of it will come through videos. Okay. So I wrote one sort of feature that um, profiles some different products, and it's things like um, I love infused pre rolls, um, but sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And so you can take your flour, you can buy some THCA, and I talk about like Henry's original flour and the Logic Labs THCA powder, and then you can grind up that flour that's your favorite, you can sprinkle it with a little bit of my THCA, roll that thing up, and now you got it amped up pre-roll. So it's like a, like a review, how-to. Yeah, then there may be a video for people who don't know how to roll, where it's like, all right, you don't know what's in your pre-roll, or there's flour that you really want to smoke, but you're not really trying to carry around a bong or a pipe, Mm -hmm. there's an instructional video on how to roll your own. Hell yeah. You know? (laughs) So, like, there's all these different levels of engagement, or, um, like, I've been smoking, you've been smoking, we're both kind of lightweights, though, but what about somebody who hasn't? Mm -hmm. And they want to hear a peer review or read an article from somebody who is a new, who's new to cannabis and what that looks like and feels like for them and how 10 milligram dosing can work really well because it gives them 
they can amp it up or amp it down. Like you can try 10 milligrams, but you need to wait a couple hours mm-hmm. before you go on to the next place. And totally. being able to also have a profile on the site where you know something you bought before and how you felt about it. Yeah. And being able to give feedback to us as your cannabis experience partner mm-hmm. um, on how that worked for you. That's like cool. how did you like our last review? And what did you or didn't you like about it? So we can start to narrow down, um, you know, engagement. Exactly. Sounds like we need to, uh, there might be room for a podcast in there as well. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I love it. You know, one of the things I've been saying is that I really felt like, like as soon as legalization happened, there was a lot of entrepreneurs that were coming over from tech and I started to see the cannabis industry take on a flavor that was similar to tech, yeah. which to me feels really like inhuman and like not like there was already a culture. Yeah. Stoner culture has been around for a it's long around, time. Yeah, and so when I started to see these people, like I got what they were doing, that they were trying to legitimize this, make it see, feel like, like a legitimate business. But it gets back to what we we're saying about business culture. Like yeah. I want to see like a weed company that's like, for the stoners, you know, right. by and the, then like, also like, who says that they are the ones who define business culture? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, exactly. Totally, exactly. Like, like that's so. This kind of this seems like an opportunity um, to bring like a breath of humanity back. Yeah, and I hope that it also experience. connects. Like I was talking as a woman, Tracy, who's working with me. She's in LA. Um, she is working with me to build out all of the content and to find these community partnerships Mm -hmm. uh, for the site. And I, it goes back to this kind of trauma, right? I was afraid to make my voice the voice. I felt like it would pigeonhole the site, Mm. right? That, um, that like, I'm not really stoner culture. Um, I'm, I don't. I didn't know how valid other people would feel my voice were was right. So, well, for I, the record, you have a lovely, warm voice, well, and I would you. totally listen to your voice. <laughs> so I was trying to hide behind like this, this just like this lifestyle brand that was a look. It was all about the look on the site, and that that look was palatable, and it felt like other sites, yeah. and so that that is then whatever assumptions people made about the site would be based on this facade. Mm-hmm. And my friend Ian from Colexo was like, no, you got to tell your voice. Yeah, Like you have to talk about your experience with cannabis and how cannabis gets you through your day and how you interact with what your suggestions are and the people you meet. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to own that. And I'm going to make this beyond just the stereotype of what a cannabis user is Mm -hmm. and broaden it to be like, no, it's also like the black chick that likes to like hike and camp and surf and swim. And it's, you know, it's also like for the mom that, um, you know, has kids and a job and like it's for a a wide variety of people. Then make it funky, you know, yeah. like keep it human. Like yeah. if it's weird, it's weird. That's what, yeah, we're all tired of like this, you know, yeah, kind of sterilized version of things. And yeah. Like I think this... it's the, it's the little, 
you know, eccentricities and idiosyncrasies yeah. that make this stuff compelling. Like, yeah. you gotta own your your personal vibe. And your yeah, and I, and and I think that goes back to what we're talking about, right? Of mm-hmm. really um, having all voices be at the table and that being a benefit. And I recognize that I this is this is an opportunity for me to put my money where my mouth is and to just lay it all out on the table. Like I'm a total weirdo. Right. Like the shit I like is <laughs> I mean, look around this place. Like it's a bunch of old ass weird shit everywhere. Yeah, and that's what I so that's what it's gonna be. You know, that's what it's gonna be. It's gonna be um it's gonna be quirky, it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be irreverent it's going to be wild weirdos by weirdos four weirdos by weirdos so it's going to be fun i'm excited yeah i'm excited and uh, so i'm that's why i really want to put energy into getting this brand launched Mm -hmm. and stop fucking whoring ourselves out to every business out there and Make our pre-rolls. And then the pre-rolls are people we really like. Well, it also sounds like like I heard your whole, your body language and your voice, it all changed when we started talking about this yeah. side of it because yeah. I can tell this is like where you're feeling creative and inspired. Yeah, and where it's just like I'm unencumbered. Yeah. I, I always make a shit employee. <laughs> you and me both. Right? <laughs> so when you're just, when you're working from contract to contract for people who think they own you, yeah. it's the same fucking feeling. It sucks. Totally. And I have a hard time not telling people what I think. <laughs> like, I don't give a fuck if it hurts your feelings or not. This is what I think. You can say what you think. Yeah, right. You know, nobody's going to hit you. Yeah. You know? But, um, yeah, I like the idea to getting back to something that feels more like my room. I like the idea too of of showing that fierceness and allowing people to see the humanity behind it and that that if it's provocative in this way to change the internal narrative in people's minds where it's like like this is scary to me but like I'm safe yeah like I hope I'm good being able to like redefine it as like yeah it's, there is a power there yeah that is terrible and beautiful yeah and it doesn't equate to like something that's gonna hurt anyone. and it, yeah and and it doesn't have to change for me to be safe right right you know it's, it's there's no boogeyman mm-hmm. there's plenty of people out here that we thought were safe that we found out we're not safe right <laughs> totally so there's stuff that looks all good uh-huh. and sounds all right mm-hmm. and it's all fucking wrong totally so like why am i afraid of this person that that i could that if i open myself up like it helps to check my humanity right you know because i'm not i don't i don't prey on people mm-hmm. i'll curse people out in a heartbeat but i don't prey on people yeah, and that even getting a curse out of that language to be able to understand that this is actually, even though maybe it's uncomfortable to be the recipient, it's also like 
you're also communicating that you're like engaged with them. Yeah. They got your undivided attention. Yeah. And that's actually a token of love in a lot of ways. Like I care enough not to just to walk off. Right. Like I've always said the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. Yes. Oh my hate gosh. takes commitment. You yes. Know? You got to put a lot of emotions into hating. I so yeah. true. <laughs> that's so, I tell, I mean, and you can flip hate. Like, you know, you can turn it into love and that same level of emotional investment yeah. will feed into the love. Like the, what is it? The, um, there's a saying like the, the greater the initial repulsion, yes. the greater potential for attraction. Yeah. If you flip it. Yeah. You know? Right. Because then, then it's changed. Like it's blown your mind mm-hmm. at that point. Now you're completely engaged. Cause like, how could I have been so wrong? How like could I've, I've, I've all changed so much? Where, like, there's been a couple people in my life who, like, I've met, and something about my outgoing, weirdo, hobie vibe just rubs in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like this weird uh, issue between us that's unspoken. Like, I, yeah. I'm thinking of one person in particular, where for years I was like, man, that guy just doesn't like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never did anything wrong to him, and yeah, maybe it was yeah. a miscommunication, but like. It was really uncomfortable to be around each other. Yeah. And then one summer we ended up in the same place and we were able to like, you know, kind of just hang out and yeah. everything flipped to the point of, it was almost like we got a little shy around each yeah. other because it was like all that energy transformed into love for each yeah. other. Yeah, guess had a bromance. Uh... Total bromance <laughs> where it was like, we had like a little like honeymoon yeah. thing where it was like, oh my God, like. You're my boy now. I love you. Yeah. You know, this is great. And now we're, yeah. you know, we're, we're good friends. When we see each other, we hug. And usually and you learn something about yourself in that. Totally. You learn what it was. Right. Because it's oftentimes not about the other person. It's about yourself. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And whatever fear or anxiety or baggage or whatever that you had wrapped up in your assumption about that person. hmm You know? And, um... Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It's been a really amazing learning experience. Like, it really has. Um, and, and like I said, I've always been kind of a terrible employee. And I get bored with things easily. But there's been so much complexity in this industry, it does not allow me to what's get your, bored. What's your sign? I'm a Scorpio. Okay. Yeah. So... You know, I like a challenge. I love a challenge. And there's every time, like, I find one thing, then, like, the next step is, like, whew, all right, let me lace up my shoes again. It never, I haven't hit the plateau of this thing yet. That's awesome. So. Like constant ascension. Yeah, and so with that, you know, and I'm cheap as shit. I hate spending <laughs> money. I really do. Yeah. I hate it. But when it comes to the, with when it comes to the website, the delivery, I was like, this time, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to go ahead and pay somebody Mm -hmm. to craft this with me. Like I'm going to trust. Have you found a developer that you're working with? No, right now we've got, um, we're Tracy and I are interviewing a few people. Um, I have found a developer. So the back end is done. It's really just the front end. I so could the, connect you with someone too. Okay. That would be, be yeah. Cause we're just in the interview process. Yeah. I have, I have um, a friend who's, we're in the process. He's helping me design. He's actually a guest on my podcast, but he's helping me design my website. Nice. And he's, it's slowed down a little bit cause he's been 
really active with uh, you know with organizing and yeah. up in um, up in Marin County uh-huh. and uh, he's I just saw he's running for the school board of the Tam district to try to wow. implement like more. Uh, that sounds like my kind of guy. Social justice policies. <laughs> I love it. He uh, he uh, he wrote this article in the in the, um, the Marin IJ about you know being the only black player on the basketball team. Yeah. And, uh, encountering racism and you know our 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 high school was Sir Francis Drake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now that. Uh, there's been a huge push to change the name, mm-hmm. you know, because of the historical mm-hmm. uh, realities of who he was. So it sounds like it's going to be called the Coast Miwok High School. Mm-hmm. Will be the Coyotes. Oh, well, that's amazing. And so I know he's been like very much involved in that movement, um, but he's also a freelance web developer. And I would I could love connect to. you guys, and if, if something came out of it, that'd be really cool. No, that would be amazing. I've been wanting to, you know, one of the, my favorite things about podcasting. You know, and it is that like really the way that I see my platform is like if I can lift up all my friends and the people that I know, like yeah. like it's like this rising tide thing yeah. where I'm like almost trying to set up a, a business that is promoting all yeah. these cool people that I know because I know so like Alley Oop, it's the same exactly, thing. Right? It's, yeah, and, we got to do that for each other. And so like, and I've seen this happen with other podcast people where they like make their business making their friends successful Mm -hmm. and then they're successful by default Mm because everybody comes on each other's and you have this cross-pollination effect where people might be interested in one individual or facet and then they can discover no i actually have a whole community here and you can kind of pick and choose with nuance the things that you identify with in in the larger community so uh it also allows for me, you know, there's nothing I love more than connecting people that I yeah. care about, and like when I can make two friends of mine into a friend, uh, <laughs> there's certainly nothing, no better feeling in the world than that. So, um, I'll give you his contact information. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot an introduction, can interview him, and see if, if it's okay. It seems like it's no, that good. would be amazing. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how this whole the team is coming together, you know, and uh, no, it's it's. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of shit too, but it's been a lot of fun. And I think that I've grown as a person. Um, And I'm thankful for that. Um, Just having to overcome some of the challenges related to being a new business. Yeah. And uh, a new business owner in a new industry. Um, Running it with with your partner. Running it with (laughs) my partner. Oh, jeez. Yeah, bless his heart. He puts up with a lot for me. Yeah. Because I am a... I'm not... One of my uh, college roommates <laughs> described living with me um, being like living with a cheese grater. <laughs> so I can be a little rough, a little yeah. rough sometimes. Where did you go to school? Uh, for college, I went to Howard University. Where's that? Uh, in Washington, D.C. Okay. I went there and I studied architecture. And then uh, I also went to UC Davis, and I studied agriculture there. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I was a farmer, um, and I had... Uh, Did you ever like, build anything architecture-wise? Um, yeah, I mean, I worked in an architecture firm for a little while. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I built a, I designed a facade in a mall. Oh, really? Which mm-hmm. mall? Eastmont Mall. 
Eastmont Mall. I sure did. Okay. And, um, but I have designed, I have a sketchbook full of designs. And in fact, in this spot in the back of my house, I'm designing a, uh, a small house. So a tiny home. No, it's not going to be quite a tiny. Well, I don't know. What is a tiny home? Less than five hundred square Where feet. Where does small house become tiny home? <laughs> exactly. Does it have to be on wheels? Yeah, does it have right. to come on a trailer? Uh-huh. So this one will be five hundred square feet. Cool. Where do you have a location? Uh, it's in my yard. It's going to oh, be in my be yard. In the, in the yeah, yard. I have a space that cool. is just an open spot of dirt. Yeah. And I found other places to grow my vegetables in my yard. Nice. And uh, and sometimes I need to escape from my kids. So I think I'm going to build a little house in the back. So I designed that one. And then... Baby's um, Fortress of Solitude. Yes. So I design a lot of things for myself. So um, I'm buying a piece of property in Mexico, and I've designed the main house and the cabins for that. That's great. Um, but nothing has yet been constructed. So I will let you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I don't know why this just made me think of this, but... Before I worked in the cannabis industry, for a brief period, I was working as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. And I wrote these like affiliate marketing articles. It's all clickbaity stuff when you see like an article that like is basically the whole purpose of the article is to get you to click on this link. Uh-huh. And so one of the prompts that I was given, and that we were like so underpaid, it was crazy, but I was, I'm a writer and it was fun to write. And so I wrote this one that was like, it was like a, an article about the weed businesses of the future or uh-huh. whatever. Like, this is what could happen, you know? <laughs> and I had this idea for, uh, for like, an airline. It was, like, the Mile High Club or something like that was what yeah. it was called. Yeah. But it was a cannabis, air, cannabis airline yeah. where the whole idea would be that you could, like, everybody gets nervous flying. Mm-hmm. Here's, like, a cannabis-friendly airline Yeah. Uh, where, you know that you could you know imbibe on the flight yes, and yeah. they would comfy chairs you know movies like tons of snacks <laughs> tons of snacks yeah and then you know to make the whole experience much more enjoyable and then but then the added benefit would be that um you know no babies on the flight yes, so you know yes, you can yes, like, exactly you can really relax on that you, you know can chill all the yeah. way out and, and like, I had all these slogans like a whole new definition of a red eye, you know. <laughs> I like that one. So uh, I am. I'm always a terrible person who doesn't want to sit next to people's kids. I mean, I, I'm surprised that airlines don't offer a premium, like baby free zone. Yes, or, like, it could be a lot. Or have a family section of the plane that's soundproofed. Yes, because like, people with kids feel bad too about right. coming on. Right, it's uncomfortable They'd in They'd rather be in a section where it's the family section where it's, yeah. you know, no, it I, just seems like it would make a lot of sense. And I just, I don't know, I guess I've got the iron fist of discipline in my house. Like, I'm just not, you're not making a bunch of noise on the plane. Like, <laughs> that's, nobody wants to hear that. Shut that shit up right now. Yeah. You know? You know, there's a... <laughs> It, yeah. There's a skill to, like, my mom was very sound sensitive. Yes. And so I am a ninja. Like, yes. I can go through a house so quietly. I'm like a special forces guy. Yes. You, know? you can and, train a child to be like that. Right. And I do have some anxiety around noise now. And that, that's the unfortunate thing is that now I'm sound sensitive. Yeah. So, like, it makes it hard for me living with other people. But I'm like, you know, I'm like, man, you sh- shut the door so loud. Like, 
just turn the, th- the thing before you close it, you know, like See, there's these I common know. sense things yeah. where I'm like, this is, to me, it's not about, this is just like common courtesy stuff. Right. Like walking through a house and not stomping yeah. through the house. Totally. I was taught that. I teach my kids that. Mm-hmm. And I am unapologetic about having an expectation that the people that I'm around at least be aware that there is another way to operate. Right. Right. It doesn't mean that you have to do it my way, no. but I'm going to let you know, A, when you walk really loud through the house, it disrupts me. Can you try to step more lightly? And it's really not even, like, nobody's going to bat a thousand, but it's more about, like, feeling the person putting in the effort, wherever they can meet you. you know? Right, and the person being aware that there are other people who are impacted by their presence and just sort of being aware in the space because it's not essential to stomp. Right. It's actually not very good for your body. Yeah, no. Speaking of someone with bad ankles, I can definitely ask <laughs> with that. But you're, that's good because those are things that are going to benefit them in their adult lives. Yeah. Especially when they have to go live with other people. Yeah, and, I, that's, one of the, and that's the conversation that, we, that I have with my kids because a part of my, for me... Part of my role as a mother is not just to like feed and clothe them, but it's to prepare them to live in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and a strong, well-adjusted people. So you try not to give them a lot of sort of, you know, complexes. Mm-hmm. And then some of them, like some of the complexes that they have, you have to try to work through them with them so they don't enter into the world with that. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, my youngest and I, I love her. She's a burgeoning scientist. Um, but she does her experiments in her room. Hmm. Sounds like it might smell pretty funky. And it's super messy. <laughs> yeah. And I find bags of like rotting stuff. Yeah. And so I tell her like it's all good to experiment, but you have a yard. Go experiment in the yard. Right. Don't experiment in your room. Or you got to keep your lab clean because you know? <laughs> nobody wants a nasty <laughs> rat infested right. lab. You got you know what a you know what a lab is supposed to look exactly. like. Exactly. So you know you don't want I don't want to. Uh, to suppress her creativity, mm-hmm. but you do want, I want her to grow up as a person who cares about the other people that, that are around her. Right. And it's not just all about her and how she wants to live her life. Yeah. I think courtesy is such a, like an undervalued attribute <sighs> that, that seems to be like, seems to kind of have bled away in the current, in, in our current generations of, it's like not a virtue that is taught as much these days, I feel like. Well, I think it's been replaced by kind of this false politeness. Right. Right? Of people who, they look at you a certain way and they nod and they acknowledge what you're saying, but in their mind, they don't give two fucks about you. Patronizing. Right. And I think that they may think that they're being genuine, but it's been like, there's so much disconnection between actual care for another human being and just looking like you just giving the affect mm-hmm. that you that a person's been taught means care for another human being so making eye contact right. nodding while talking mirroring of speech asking like, questions right, yeah. exactly but that there's nothing that's like you open up and it's just hollow inside right i mean well that's what's been so cool about doing this podcast project is like i feel like i've gotten to be a better communicator because like my job is to make people comfortable and ask questions and yeah, yeah. listen. Like, yeah, yeah. You're the star here. Like, I'm just the, the. My whole show is like really a platform that I can use to present other people on. So yeah, it's like, yeah. 
it's actually a relief for me because I don't have to be this amazing, entertaining, you know, powerhouse personality. But you are. <laughs> but you are. <laughs> but then, you know, it, it like allows for some of my, I feel like some, for some of my more positive at- attributes to come out because I'm actually focusing on supporting and like bigging up yeah. and revealing my guests. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. So it, it, it part of like the larger patterns as a, I like to say, I'm a recovering extrovert, you know. <laughs> Uh, the last year I've really been trying to focus on like learning the wisdom of the introverts path uh-huh. and I realized like in the in my social circles I was doing a lot of like because growing up I was very introverted and very awkward and I, it was hard to make friends and I was more interested in reading a book you know I'd have like a friend come over I'd play with him for an hour and then I'd get bored of him and then I'd just go read a book and then my brother <laughs> would play that. with him you know and I got so, done with that thing. Yeah, so I had to learn how to be outgoing, and and then I got very outgoing, and yeah. I got very gregarious, and I was like, um, and so this latest iteration of the Hobart has been like learning how to listen way more, learning how to shut up, learning how to like. I, I noticed I was like always feeling like I I had this like need to steer the conversation, mm-hmm. like if I wasn't steering it, like what was going to happen, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of times if I felt awkward, like we all feel like social anxiety, yeah. my solution was to be performative in yeah, that yeah. I was conf- confident and comfortable. Yeah. Because then at least I put everyone around me at ease. Yeah. So, yeah. so like even if I wasn't at ease, everybody else was be, good. Yeah. Yeah. But the other side of that is like often I would get overextended socially. Yeah. And not always like be putting my best foot forward. Sometimes yeah. it would rub people the wrong way or, yeah. or I would just take up too much space. Yeah. And so it's been a huge relief to like, I've been practicing, I'll go to parties and be like, you know, like really focusing on not needing to be the one that steers, letting other people rise up and steer the yeah. conversation. Or, um, you know, I went to this party before the shutdown with my brother and we were like, I was like, all right, I want to do this experiment with you. We're going to pick a corner and we're just going to sit in the corner. And anyone that wants to come up and talk to us, yeah. I'll be open to talk all night. Yeah. But I'm not going to go out and try to connect with anyone. Yeah. So we just sat in this corner, which was very weird to me because I'm usually the social butterfly. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, oh, like if I see someone I know, I go chase them down and say hi and give them yeah. a hug. So it was like a cool practice to like just sit in one place, kind of hold court, you know, yeah. like people want to come up. You know, because I, I had so many birthdays. I used to throw these huge birthday parties, and I'd be just tons of people. I had huge networks, mm-hmm. and I would spend the whole night doing that. And I felt like I never hung out with anybody. Yeah, like I had little five minute, five minute, five minute yeah. check ins with everyone. And at a certain point, I was like, "All right, you know what? I'm just gonna like sit in my chair. Yeah, and then people can come up to me." Yeah. And maybe I don't. Maybe I see 30% of my guests. Yeah. But that 30% will be like very meaningful and deeper connections. It's super cool that you even think about it. Yeah. You know, just think about the idea of change within yourself or look at how you are and be like, you know what? Not bad or good, but like, what would it be like just to be different? Mm -hmm. You know, to do it differently. Um, I like that. I think it gives one an agent, a sense of agency. Yeah. Like so often we get stuck in those 
kind of like you were talking about with yeah. like baggage like yeah. this is how I am or this yeah. is how the way the world is yeah you know I'm stuck yeah I've like even with I was talking to my friend about this you know the other day I've been doing working with my mom my mom incredible survivor you know a victim of domestic violence you know my dad was an abusive alcoholic and so you know she managed to get free of this situation and raise two boys and go to school and get her degree and you know fight to, for us to have this like life of joy and now she's in her 60s and she's still developing and growing and yeah. she just has been working on pushing through the, the trauma and so it was really interesting for me you know She's producing this opera right now. She went back to school, got her master's in wow. classical composition, and uh, so she's doing this opera that's about that's dealing with uh, these topics of like trauma, and uh -huh. like you know, telling her story as a woman who passed through this, setting up these opportunities for audiences to come and kind of collectively heal, collectively heal. Yes, and you know, in in doing this work with her. I've come to see this idea of victimhood as yes. being an essential part of the healing process because mm -hmm. when you experience trauma, I think it's too much to like, a lot of us can't process it in real time. Mm -hmm. And the victim thing is like this defensive thing that happens where you're like, all right, I can't take responsibility for what's happening to me right now. Mm -hmm. It's too much. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to sit, the, the victimhood is like this, this robe I can put on that protects mm -hmm. me for a while mm -hmm. and I can get angry about it and I can get yeah. you know defiant and, and feel very righteous mm -hmm. but the way I see it until you the next step in the healing process is to move past being a victim yeah. and start to see yourself as actually I'm going to take responsibility for my part yeah. in, the, in the trauma yeah and take my agency back. Yeah. Because if you're defining yourself based on what this other person has done to you. And you don't have any control. You're giving them all your power. Yeah. And while it's not my place to tell anybody else, you know, okay, time to move on. Or, oh, yeah. you're, I still hurt when I see people so caught up still in the role of the victim. Because even though I understand firsthand through my own trauma, yeah. the value of it, it's like, I also so badly for them want them to be able to move on to, to, to the next step, step where they can see how powerful they are and that they have you know this agency this ability yeah. to like move past it and, and use it as a source of strength yeah feed it into their path of whatever they're trying to build in their life and I think like you know when when we were talking about the industry or small businesses in the industry or us as consumers in the industry like that's what it's about mm -hmm. like it's about reclaiming your agency yeah like understanding that we make the choice to abdicate our autonomy to anyone that we give control over us right and just as we can give it away we can take it back and maybe not in that moment not maybe not in that moment where um our trust was betrayed mm -hmm. but in that very next moment like from the ne from the time that once that action happened, we make the choice again about what we're going to do with that because that power is still ours. Totally. And we cannot, you know. And I think we live in a society that um, that paints this idea of like freedom in a really weird way, 
You know, it's like freedom is like an anti-something, right? Mm. And so it's your, it's not, doesn't always come from like within. Like your auto- autonomy is yours. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm free to ride the bike without a helmet. Yes, right. you are. But is that what's best for you? Is that truly, if you use your power and your thought and your desire, is that what's important to you? Or is someone telling you what's important to you and then you're free to think that that thing that they say is important is also important? Right, it's like freedom is something that needs to be granted externally from right. external sources rather than it being something that you can claim for yourself. Right. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, when you say that, even going through what I've gone through over the past three years, it makes me see where I am painting myself as a victim. Even in being, you know, a black woman in America, blah, blah, blah. Like there's a part of that that has that I've internalized as victim. That's why I didn't want to put my face and my voice on this website. And I have to step back and I have to be like, oh, my God, what do you think about yourself? Mm -hmm. What do you think about yourself? What do you think? And and I come from a very long line of very proud black people. But to be able to stop and say, like, you know, like, it's not about what anybody's doing. It's not about what's out there. It's like I got to step within myself and look at how this outside world affects me and then do something different. Mm -hmm. Like if I, if there's aspects of me that show up really strong, but then there's aspects inside, like in the quiet of my soul, which are still weak and damaged and scared, like I need to to shine light on that. Yeah. And not be afraid to tell people, like I told Ian, like, dude, I'm afraid to put my face on there because I think if they see it's a black woman, they're not going to believe what I have to say. Mm. They're not going to value my voice. And he's like, that's not true. No. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's not true then. Let's or, go. Or, or it, it may be true for some people. Right. But, but there's it, going to be a lot of other people that like are like, hell yeah, I want to hear what she has to say. And maybe know? and maybe through that, that, that vibration, yeah. just the wave that's created by me changing how I feel about myself... Mm-hmm. It might hit that one person who feels a certain way about me or somebody like me, and it may change. Like totally. by me changing and ringing my bell, the reverberation it has. Like your mom mm-hmm. claiming herself totally. and claiming her life has made you into the beautiful person <laughs> that you are. You know, yeah. and you continue to to send that wave out in the world, and we just have to keep it up. Right. Totally. And and. Also, you know, to echo what you were saying or play off those words, by putting yourself out there, you know, you're showing that, like, it doesn't even really matter what other people think, yeah. right? Because you're being your authentic self yeah. and you're displaying all your warts and all your beauty yeah. on your platform. Yeah. And that's the thing is we live at a time where, you know, this is one of my mantras I keep repeating lately, but it's like, I like to tell all my friends who are creative this, which I believe is everybody. Mm-hmm. You, every single one of us has an audience out there. Yeah. And now we live in a time where that audience has a good ch- chance of finding you. Yeah. But only if you put yourself out there. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know how many people listen to this. Yeah. More than I think. Yeah, yeah. And 
I'm not really concerned by how many people listen to this because yeah. I love doing it. And yeah. So it's like, I've had people give me advice and I'm like, okay, thank you. But like also <laughs> fuck off because I'm doing it, going to do it my way. Because if I do it your way, I'm not going to love it anymore. It's not well, I'm going to tell you this. You know? You reached one person today. Yeah. You reached me. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like just the conversation and some of the, the 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 jewels that I've gotten from you and some of the things that I've just heard myself say. Yeah. Like it's made a change in me. Yeah. I'll step away from this as a as a changed person. Hell yeah. You and know? You changed me too. I, yeah, it's you know, like... it's like and we gotta keep doing stuff like that. You know, and, and, and have patience. Like, I'm an extraordinarily impatient person. <laughs> like, I have no idea why everything can't just be the way I think it should be mm-hmm. right now. Like, that, I'm, That's the grand tragedy. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just the flaws of the universe that are stopping that from happening. But if it was everything the way you wanted it to be, you'd probably be hella bored. Yeah, I mean, I would be dead because <laughs> yeah. what would be the purpose exactly. of life? Like, exactly. if everything was just, I don't know. I was laying under the sky yesterday. Oh, with the trees framing it on all sides and I had the cold air in my face and um, it was amazing. Yeah. And like I could stand with that kind of perfection for just, you know, a little, longer. a little bit longer. It's funny, I was I had a similar thing this morning. I, I do these like 10 minute meditation sits every yeah. morning before I turn my phone on, before anything and uh, I was sitting there with my eyes closed and I forgot that I had left my window open and this breeze came in and it was like hot in my room and it was just so nice. Yeah. And I was like, I know I'm supposed to be like letting go of attachment, but like <laughs> I gotta touch this, this moment's real good, you know? And then like the, of course the curtain flies into my face and it's like tickling me and stuff. But yeah, that, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I think that that is what gives me so much hope and optimism about this, this, even with this whole Corona thing, like to quote one of my other guests, he's like, mother nature said, is saying, sit the fuck down and stop doing what you're doing. And the fact that there has been this force that's so large, that's yes, causing a lot of pain and affecting everybody a little bit differently. I see so much potential for people. Like people are, kind of waking up a little bit and being like, I don't really want to go back to a 50 hour work week where I'm like killing myself. And like, I can, I can make this and also like expanding their network. Yeah. I was watching this show on Netflix about, um, I don't know, it's about something completely unrelated, but it was focusing on this man and this woman and their children and the amount of anxiety they have and how it's hard for them to attach and relate because there's all this, stress on them to be the everything for their family and i'm like well where the fuck are the grandparents right totally. like where's the aunties they don't have any brothers like there's nobody you could call we're their friends like this idea that we're like this norm that's crazy it's mm-hmm. just not it's not realistic yeah and that we this is a moment where you have to sort of question everything like how you work how you live how you eat how you move, how you plan your day. How you talk about yourself. How you talk about yourself, how you enter into the world, whether the world that you assumed was safe is actually safe. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the world that we live in, how clean it is, how not clean it is, the idea of living in a city or not living, like 
everything you just have to reorder. And then there's some of us who are like, I've been living like I was yeah. made for fucking Corona. Right, like, right. right. That's why I have a yard. That's why I grow plants. Right. Like this is why I live my life like I live. So this isn't completely shaking my side. It just makes me feel good that maybe there'll be some more people who slide onto the balance on, on, totally. on our side of the world. I know me and my brother were both like, we were a pretty small little social crew and we've been pretty hermit. I've been in hermit mode certainly for like the last year. So when this hit, it was like, yeah, like not much has changed for me yeah. you know, other than like maybe some government support <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, okay, shelter in place. Like I'm already in place. You know? <laughs> like I'm, I'm sheltered. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and we, you know, luckily I have like my little pod of yeah. close homies that have, really helped to keep me sane during this time but yeah. I would see you know some of his especially like he moved in with me like in June but before that some of his roommates and stuff uh, who were more connected socially who yeah. were like going crazy yeah, and like kind of freaking out because they were like suddenly facing isolation and I'm like yeah. well great like it's time to learn how to be good by yourself for a right. while you know because we spend so much time outside of ourselves yeah. Just externalizing everything. Yeah. Or living vicariously yeah. through like with um with my my partner, it's been about the sports and I love football. Mm-hmm. So I know it's a very violent sport and it creates all kind of head trauma. But I grew up in a football it's fun family to watch. <laughs> and I fucking love football. What what's your team? The Niners. Niners. Nice. But um my life isn't like I don't give a fuck when sports goes back on TV. Mm-hmm. And I know people are like, oh my God, football's coming back. The NBA's on. And I'm like, like, it, it's not, it doesn't matter. Like, let these people go live their lives. They don't need to run around on this field for us. For what? Yeah, right. To make some owners a bunch of money? Like, you love, like, we could go play football in the yard. Mm-hmm. I miss playing basketball at, at my local court way more than watching the NBA. Although I miss the NBA too. <laughs> but you know, and it, it, but it it helps you make decisions about what's important, and then the things that you think are important, it forces you to question why. Totally, you know, because my friend was like, "Well, we can um, we'll be able to watch football." And I'm like, I, I really liked going to the sports bar. Like, I like football, but I like football with a big crowd of people yelling, mm-hmm. and like that was my thing. Otherwise, I'll watch it, you know, in vacuum. Right, but. Yeah, it's funny because I like watching sports much more at home, but mm-hmm. that's so that I can have like my own dialogue with like my friends. Yeah. So I can be, so we can be talking about the players or talking about the play or, you know, there's like so many little bits. Um, but that's just me. I, I get overwhelmed. For the big games, it's fun to be out in the, yeah, out in the yeah. bar and yelling. But it's about like, it's about that social interaction totally. and how. That's something that can happen regardless. Like, even if it's just me and my kids or if it's me talking to my mom on Zoom. Right. That, um, I mean, I talk to my mom and my aunts and sort of my elders more during this period than I think I have in the years before. That's beautiful. It was great. Opportunity to connect. Yeah. To make time for... for Absolutely. To spend time with my kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, so... And the cannabis industry rolls on. And people, there are some people in the industry who want to act like nothing is going on. 
And it's like, no, think just because you're making money, there are things going on. Like there is a shift, and right. we and I think that we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that just because we're still open, right? You know, and even the decisions being made about what is an essential business and who did you have to talk to to get this as an essential business, mm-hmm. and you know, and like. The idea of an essential worker that makes twelve seventy five, you know, like are they essential? Like, are they really that oh, essential? Yeah, like you're not paying them. In no, you're not way. paying them like yeah. they're essential, and you're making your money right now. Totally. But how, who's benefiting? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I just uh, want is is there any last little pieces that you want to talk? About? I feel like we talked, we yeah. covered everything pretty. Yeah, well. no, it was good. Um, it was how, fun. How can people? Find you, connect with you. Find what's what's like a good. I know we're gonna release the uh, the website in the show notes when we release this. But um, is there you know a good way to get in touch with you or contact you if people want to learn more? Yeah, um, they can get my email. Okay, what's your email? Uh, Abeni at h two distro dot com. How do you spell that? Uh, here, you want me to uh, a b e n i at h the number two, D-I-S-T-R-O dot com. Great. Yeah. Um, and, and then Instagram. Yeah, what's, what's your handle? My, Instagram, my handle is, um, I think it's City Girl Farms, O-A-K. So C-I-T-Y-G-I-R-L-F-A-R-M-S, mm-hmm. O-A-K. Cool. C- City Farms Oak. City Girl Farms Oak. City Girl Farms Oak. That was the name of my farm. Cool. So yeah, check check out. I feel like I keep saying your name wrong. Everybody says my name wrong. Abeni, like do re mi. Abeni. Abeni. Yes. Someone told me it was a B name when we first met. Yes. I, I never got corrected. So. It has been so many things. Abeni. Yeah. Yep. Well, yep. Abeni. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. It was it's been so much fun, Hobart. Uh, and I definitely want to have you on again when the website's going. Okay. And we can talk. I think there's we still have tons to talk about. And, uh, you know, we only solved some of the world's issues today. I know. Very small chunk. But more, it was, you know, it's, it's all about done. quality, not quantity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but thanks again. And uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, until next time. Yeah. Man, that was fun. Um, she's such a gem, <laughs> and I'm so inspired. I like my my mind by the end of that was just like exploding with all these ideas, and I really love this idea that she had of uh, of this kind of cannabis lifestyle resource uh, for all of us um, who might be looking to different sources of wisdom in navigating this new and vast and quickly growing industry. Uh, so keep a lookout. They, uh, they actually developed in the, in the time between recording this and releasing this. Um, I do have the name of the website. It's going to be live. It's going to go live September 14th. And the name of the website is ooped.co. So that's O-O-P-E-D dot C-O. And uh, 
that will be the place to access this wonderful new lifestyle and um, as well as I believe the delivery service that they're going to be providing. So, uh, you know, come mid-September, if y'all are looking uh, to get some dro to get your smoke on to get a fat joint or smoke a blunt or hit your bong or hit a dab or whatever your needs are, check out Alley Oop um, at ooped.com and, uh, you know, maybe we'll be doing some Maybe maybe some collaborations are in the future as well. We'll see. But uh, many thanks to Abeni for coming on. And uh, as always, uh, stay safe, my friends. I love you all, and I hope everybody is uh, staying safe um, during this really difficult time with these fires. Uh, sending out my heart to you all. And uh, I'll see you here again soon. Much love.